Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Okay, here we go. Uh, welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Saturday Night Main Event Watch Along here with Wrestling Inc. I'm joined, as always, with Wrestling Inc. President Raj Geary. Raj, how's it going? Good. How are you guys? I'm I'm doing great, and also joined, of course, is Sports Illustrated's Justin Barrasso. Justin, how's it going over there? Well, thank you. Thank you for having me back. Uh, excited. Uh, I love the pairing of the Hitman and the Macho Man. I think I don't know if we were on the air last week or off the air, but Raj touched on like what a missed opportunity not to do that around WrestleMania 10 or right after, right before Savage left. Maybe if Randy stays, they do it just because. But Yeah, it's one of those things, Justin. It's really interesting to think about how much the WWF roster changes between what we see now, which is this is the last show in 1987. We're watching the uh, November 28th, 1987 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event for anyone looking to get it queued up online. But it's really crazy how much the roster changes in just a few number of years. Almost all of the people that are on this show are gone by 1984. I think the, or 1994. I think the only one who's still there is Brett. Um, and it's kind of interesting just to see that kind of turnover so fast, um, as opposed to today, it seems like everyone that's in the company now has been in the company for forever. Raj, the only, the only mania I could think of, I don't think you said you weren't, were you, you were in Dallas or weren't in Dallas? The Dallas I mania. Was in Dallas. Third, okay. <laughs> That's a mania to me that reminds me of like an old school, like you look at six to seven or, or six to eight even. Like in two years, that roster was dramatically different, uh, 30 to 32. But to Jesse's point, it's not like the roster had a major turnover. It's just guys were hurt at 30. 32 is a unique mania to me because mm-hmm. it's, it's, everyone was hurt, I feel like. But it's right. not because guys left or like, but you look at WrestleMania six or four, five, six to eight, nine, 10, dramatically different. Right. Yeah, if you go from like WrestleMania 1 to 5, and then 5 to 10, and then 10 to 15, 
15, you know, 15, 20, it's dramatically different every five years. Whereas now you're not seeing that kind of turnover. It's kind of been same guys, you know, towards the top, uh, you know, now you got drew, which is new, but outside of that, you know, um, your, your Rollins and your, uh, Bray Wyatt, even though he's a new character, you um, had that era of competition, um, which we're now we're seeing a little bit of it. And you actually are seeing a little bit more turnover, but Back then, guys would jump from promotion to promotion because they would get better money. And we'll we'll get I'll get into it with like Bam Bam Bigelow is on this show. It's the first Saturday Night's main event. He's on. Uh, he wrestles Hercules on the show. And you just look at his career, and he's like, with the exception of a, a few stops, he's really only in promotions for like a year or two, and then he's on to somewhere else. And he goes, you know, he goes from he starts in Memphis, then he goes to World Class, then he's in the WWF. He leaves like after like a little more than a year in the WWF, goes to WCW. He has a run in New Japan. He goes back to he goes to ECW. He goes back to the WWF. He's all over the place, and he's only like doing short periods of time. But that's what would happen when you had so many promotions that were offering contracts that you know guys can make a really good living off of. So they would jump around that much. And I'm excited to hear both of your opinions. You know, Raj and I obviously were, were watching at the time too, uh, being the old guys. But uh, Bam Bam headlining a mania. It's funny, A, they chose Scott Bigelow to headline that mania when you could have easily had Sean do it. Maybe Sean was just better with, with Kevin Nash in that match. But but also, too, like what a weird – He's he, I don't even think he worked SummerSlam that year. Bigelow is going to – you're going to turn him against the, the corporation and make him your guy – make him a baby face – Bam Bam, I don't even think he made the SummerSlam card that same year. So Bam Bam's a funny story uh, with Vince McMahon. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, to your point, that, I mean, I think LT versus Shawn Michaels would have been a much would, would have been a much better match. Not that his match with Bam Bam wasn't way better than I, I would have expected. Uh, it actually surpassed my expectations. But Shawn would have been better, but who would you put it with Diesel that year? There was, like, no one ready. And the think, corporation with the top heels, yeah. What I mean, I guess you could put Bam Bam in that match, but man, that's I don't yeah, know. Bam Bam had just lost a one, two, three kid at that pay per view before, yeah. you know, at the Rumble. I don't but. know if they would have done. I don't know if nineteen ninety five Shawn Michaels would have been willing to do a job to a football player. Um, he didn't have the stroke then. He he wasn't he wasn't quite you know uh, at that level. I yet, mean, it's so. only a year away from from ninety six, but yeah, that was a big year. A big though. Jump. That's, yeah, it's no. a big jump to that next year. And then, yeah. and then the other thing is that when if you're gonna have like Lawrence Taylor be the babyface, you want him to f- like wrestle a bigger guy as the heel. Like you don't want Lawrence Taylor beating up Shawn right. Michaels, who's you know Taylor's bigger than Shawn Michaels, and that's not really. You want him to wrestle like this big scary guy. And Bigelow was a good enough worker to work with to work with um, LT at the time. And there's not a lot of super heavyweights that could, you know, work like Bigelow and bump like Bigelow, which is what you would have to have in that match wrestling someone who's not a real wrestler. Speaking of not real wrestlers, real quick, have you guys seen the uh, Steve McMichael Twitter account that's been going around? Yeah. <laughs> I started following it. <laughs> the last, I, I haven't checked since this morning, but they were up at 16,000, and that was when they posted the, uh, the U.S. title, like the end of that clip. So 16,000. Uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, and it, it, Mongo is one of those guys where uh, he, he's one of those characters that when he's talking, you can't help but kind of like him. But uh, I, I remember him being bad, but I don't remember him being that. Well, bad. yeah, That's we're seeing the worst. We're seeing the worst parts of him cut out onto these clips, right? But That's, those worst are. Really but there, if you guys are, I know we could all use a laugh uh, right now. If you got, if you, I just yesterday when I was, I was just scrolling through, and I would just find myself laughing at some of them like if you know wrestling and you know like 
how what work is supposed to look like. It's pretty funny, and I don't want to like I, I don't want to make fun of Steve McMichael because he wrestled, but that's pretty much it. So uh, Bruce Bennett in the chat, Steve McMichael in the Bam Bam match for what it's worth too at WrestleMania. He was in the he was in the corner. Vince obviously so, didn't want to keep him, but he was part of that WrestleMania match with uh, with LT and Bam Bam. Yep. So mm-hmm. Bruce in the chat's been putting out that Bam Bam has got the biggest push of his life coming into uh, 1987. He made event at Survivor Series, eliminating Bundy and the One Man Gang, and then June 1988 he is gone. Yeah, something really interesting about this show is that this show airs two days after Survivor Series aired, and it's I don't know if Survivor Series is referenced once on this show. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. Like Survivor Series in '87 was kind of thrown together at the last minute. The WWF was trying to put something um, together to compete with Starcade, was both shows were running uh, on Thanksgiving in 1987. And so, like Survivor Series, the first Survivor Series is basically a just thrown together show at the last minute. And since this Saturday Night's Main event was actually taped on November 11th, a few weeks before. It's just totally not mentioned. So it's interesting to see that they are coming off of a pay-per-view, you know, two two nights after a pay-per-view, and it's like it never happens. Such a wrestling move, though. Hey, we got your money. Classic. Right. That, that show was two nights ago. We're, we're moving on. Uh, well, also, I mean, what's up? Oh, oh go I'm ahead, sorry. I'm sorry, Rush. Oh, I was going to say, did they, they taped it before the Survivor Series, right? Yeah. Yep. It's taped November 11th, 1987. Survivor Series happens on Thursday, November 26th. 1987 and then because it's saturday night's main event on november 28th two days later this show runs but it was taped before and uh, they didn't go in and they didn't i mean i guess they could have like done like a few like pre-taped interviews with them talking about the results of of survivor series but you know in november 11th they didn't have survivor i don't know if they didn't have survivor series planned or the guys didn't know that survivor series was going to happen because they don't talk about it at all on this show yeah, I mean, well, they, they weren't really as uh, slick with the production back then. So they, yeah. you know, they, as far as doing the voiceovers and, and you know, um, you know, timing where it would go in. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, that, that should have been a big deal that Andre the Giant's team beat Hulk Hogan's team. I mean, that's a, that should be a huge mm-hmm. deal. Uh, you know, Hogan, at, up until that point, never lost on pay-per-view. Uh, even though he didn't, you know, it was just a count out, but still. Still a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, guys. I'm having a little technical difficulty. I can't get this to While you're working on that, TV. I'll say what's up to Bruce. Bruce has been with us every every week I've been here, at least, yes. which is yeah. awesome. Uh, he mentioned that uh, Mongo was on an 85 Bears team, which uh, Jesse and I are, are Boston guys. Beat the, I mean, didn't I wouldn't even say beat the Patriots. I would say uh, annihilated, maybe, is a, is a better way to describe that. And that, that team had, what, Walter Payton involved in a SummerSlam with Holland Nash? No, with... Uh, yeah, with with Hall, Hall and Ash, that was their match, and then um, yeah, he was like uh, in their corner or something like that, wasn't he? Yeah, and I think he knocked Sean out at the end. Plus, uh, Refrigerator, who was part of that um, WrestleMania Battle Royal one, yeah, WrestleMania, WrestleMania two. So and, w- and Mongo, yeah, WWE Hall of Famer. I, the one thing I'll say about Mongo is he looks. I mean, the matches are goofy and silly. He looks the part, though. He looks like an action figure, not like yeah. in the Drew McIntyre sense, but. Uh, I could see the appeal from Eric Bischoff, especially with the football background. Yeah, he's got that kind of that frat guy, uh, you know, the frat guy football player, which, you know, he probably wasn't a frat. And, uh, yeah. You, you know, Raj, he, what was the dog's name? Fifi? No, what Fifi, was the dog's name? Yeah, Fifi, right? It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> or that's one of Flair's wives. I don't know. Which, which one's which? You know? <laughs> Who well, looks it, fantastic, by the way. Have you it seen goes her to like, show on Instagram? With- oh, that's, yeah. 
with Steve McMichael, it goes to show like how complicated wrestling is because like Mongo is like a legit, really good athlete, right? He's a two-time pro sure. bowler. You know, he's he's retired at that point and probably maybe had some injuries and stuff, but he's like a legitimately really good athlete. And you watch him, and he's like there. Are, there are parts of him where he like can't run the ropes correctly, and he doesn't look athletic at all. It goes to show kind of what the science of wrestling is, and just because you are a good natural athlete, not everyone's going to pick it up right away super fast. Which let's yeah. touch on Lawrence Taylor. I know we're not even talking about Saturday's main event. Just about to but, mention him. LT was awesome. Now, granted, yeah. that was Bam Bam too, right? But he was he was fantastic. He was. And they did have a lot of time to rehearse and you know kind yeah. of go over it. Uh, you know, was whereas mine goes Mongo's on the fly, but uh, who was it in Impact? Um, that was Angelo Williams. Yeah, Angel, yeah, he yeah, was yeah. awesome. He was really uh, good. He, he was really good. Well, and like uh, WCW Floyd Mayweather, you know, it's if you if you've got time to to work your match and, and uh, you know kind of rehearse, it, they're uh, they were all really good. But Mongo, he was you know that match was made probably earlier that day, and you know it's a. It's Raj, a what was animal. the tagline for Bam Bam LT? Do you remember? Oh man! Wow, I should know this. I mean, terrible ride. It's funny. I could tell you like eleven, like the back of my hand. Terrible mania, but um, yeah, I, I don't remember, I, I don't remember that one. I think it was first time, last time, only time. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I remember Salt and Peppa doing the entrance. Um, what a man! What a man! What a mighty good man! Go LT, you got to be Bam Bam. Yeah, it was at the time again. Awesome, like cutting edge. I thought. It, it was interesting because they would have that, and then they would have like the kid from the you know uh, home improvement as a celebrity, and I the third guy from the top from NYPD Blue. I think that was, that was awesome. Ray uh, Totoro, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, maybe. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Some of Bob Backlund's best work were in those scenes. Backlund was on fire. Yeah. And, All right, so this Saturday night's main event, yeah, November twenty eighth, nineteen eighty seven. Macho Man Randy Savage versus Bret Hart. You hear that now? It just sounds like such a dream match. Yes. So, are you ready, Raj? I'm ready. Okay, so we're going to start the show. I'm going to do a countdown. Everyone's going to press play, and then we're going to press pause to make sure we can all stay on the same page. Some people have a- uh, advertisements on the WWE Network. So, five, four, three, two, one. Everyone press play. Everyone press pause. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be a second off. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll wait a second. Um, yeah, like once in a what, what was it? What was the tagline, Justin? First time, last time, only time. And unlike The Rock and John Cena, which was once in a lifetime, they did not do a return match. It really is the only time yeah, Bam Bam and LT ever wrestled. I, I, what pay per view had the? Oh, What's sorry. that, Rush? I was gonna say what pay per view had the tagline "Good friends, better enemies." I know that. That's actually one of my favorite matches of all time. That's an in your house. That's uh, Michaels in and at. Is that Kevin Nash's last match? Yep, the last pay per view match. He last pay per view because yeah. He uh, and also it's it's uh, Butcher. Is it Butcher Vachon? Yeah, which Vachon? Yeah, Mad Dog Vachon. Yeah, Mad Dog Vachon. Mad Dog. Thank you. That, that's a really. I always thought that was a great match. That it. We're just thinking about in your house because of this weekend. Um, Mind Games is really good with uh, Mick Foley and Sean. Right. Sean Diesel, Good Friends, Better Enemies, was really good. One of the Beware things... A, what's that? Beware a Dog, when they finally figured it out, was good, too. Right. Uh, well, isn't it Calgary Stampede? That's, like, the famous one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, like, that was the best one. I liked... The thing about, like, In Your House, and I think they should go back to this, is that they would name the shows kind of based on storylines that were happening. 
And I always thought that was a nice creative element to it. Like, beware a dog. Like, okay, that's the British Bulldog. Or Calgary Stampede. Okay, they're in Calgary. Or Mind Games. Or, um, you know, they had one that was just Degeneration X. Like, I, I kind of like that. It's better than just having these candid, like, names that, to me, don't mean anything. Like, what does Backlash mean now? Like, Yeah. Well, should we uh, go ahead and get started? Yeah, let's get started we'll talk here. talk more about it. Wanting creativity in the current product. I, I, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, we got... Macho Man, he's in the Twilight oh, Zone background. I thought you were going to oh, do a Sorry, I'm, I apologize. Let me, let me, <laughs> I'm going to go back to the start, and I'm going to do another countdown. I'm sorry, I forgot about that aspect of it. So here we'll start again. I'll count down. We're going to four, three, two, one, and everyone press play. How great is that? You can't open any better than with Macho Man. I like I the Twilight Macho Man shirt today. A different one. I like the Twilight Zone backgrounds. Yeah. I'm going to be a broken record here, but this is all stuff they can do with the current Raw. I mean, there's no reason you oh, yeah. couldn't start Raw oh, yeah. with Drew McIntyre in a funky way or MVP and Lashley. Like, there's plenty of plenty of things you can do. Yeah, yeah. You'd mix it up. But if they opened it up with Drew, it would just be a black backdrop with a scripted promo, more <laughs> or less. So one thing that I noticed on these shows, and right now Bobby Heenan's going to coin the term Bundy Mania, um, but is that like you watch these shows almost all of the promos are like pre-tapes or they're, they're mean gene interviews and they don't have many like guy in the microphone in the ring addressing the live audience and it really wasn't until like the attitude error where you really saw that happening more but I always think that like it's so much easier for guys to cut promos with pre-tapes or with the interviews where you can do multiple takes of them and it's really difficult for guys to cut promos in front of live audiences. And for that to have become kind of the default, I think has really hurt some of these guys. Because like a guy like Roman Reigns is, isn't maybe going to be better doing the pre-tapes than he is like addressing 16,000 people who are booing him. Yeah. Hulk Hogan looked absolutely crazy with his bandana all shredded. It doesn't look like the helmet that just didn't stick for, right. reason, for a good reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was almost like a... He got the warrior's tassels glued onto his uh, bandana. Funny we think of the Bundy uh, Hillbilly Jim match with the Midgets at Mania as a step down, which it was from you know being in the main event with Hulk Hogan. But it makes the it makes the 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 highlight to the of the intros. So clearly mm-hmm. they were high on Bundy here. Yeah, yeah, and there's some revisionist history. It kind of feels like Bundy has the big match at WrestleMania two. And then he's done, like, he goes, he does this comedy match at WrestleMania 3, and that's the last, like, everyone really remembered of King Kong Bundy as, like, a main eventer. But as we see, that's not true. He he wrestles Hogan both on this show and on the next show. And so it's not like Bundy did go down the card at WrestleMania 3, there's no doubt about it. But it's not like he was dead and was never a main event guy again, which I, you know, sometimes referred to as you bring a guy in, get it, build him up, Hogan beats him, and then he's done with his main event run. We saw with Orndorff earlier, uh, you know, in, in 1987, guys come back and they're still main eventers, even if they, you know, lose to Hogan once. And they needed people to kind of keep Hogan warm with Andre. Andre was obviously the plan, right? Mm-hmm. So you need you needed guys to kind of keep keep that. And then you know, Mr. Wonderful was 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 the guy before three, and and Bundy did it before four. Yeah, uh, didn't so another great in your house that Bruce Menon's bringing up is. Bad Blood, HBK versus Undertaker, Hell in the Cell. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, the debut of Kane, which was that was awesome. That's a, a very match. underrated moment too. The the one, terrible name in retrospect. Who knew? And uh, very sad. But uh, Ground Zero, the month before that, 
right. was uh, Taker and Sean again. And another awesome match. And I'm a huge Brett. Brett was kind of thrown into the middle of these. Co- I think he was with the Patriot at the time working with. Like the Brett stuff oh, right. wasn't special. But the, the Sean Taker stuff, I thought the September match was awesome. And then the October match was great, too. And then, you know, we all know what happened in November. Right. So we're going to start this show, the first match, with the man that defined Saturday Night Main Event, uh, George the Animal Steel, who's uh, amazingly on every, almost every single one of these shows so far. And I, I I, mean, I wasn't watching at the time, but I did not know that he had such a big run on Saturday Night's Main Event. He's on every single show, and he's usually opening the show. Good product placement here, too. Raj mentioned Hogan's bandana, which didn't work. Well, we have the LJN uh, action figure with Elizabeth here. Did you guys collect action figures as a kid, like of wrestlers? I did, I, I did yeah. Real Not quick. to lose all of our street cred right now, but yes. <laughs> uh, so didn't Bundy, uh, we were talking about how this would aired just a couple days after the Survivor Series. Wasn't Bundy pinned uh, just a couple nights before this by Bam Bam Bigelow? Or was that by Hulk Hogan in that Survivor Series match? Well, let me see if I can find Cause, out. Because I thought Andre was the sole survivor. Yeah, yeah, he he pinned Bundy. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow pinned Bundy and then pinned the one-man gang after Hogan was eliminated uh, by countout. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's kind of weird. You know, again, if you're planning it out, you know your Saturday night's main event is a couple days later and you're going to do this two-show program to have, you know, uh, Bigelow pinned by Bundy. Yeah, well, Bundy, um, so they so they taped the show in – they taped this, this one on the 11th of 87 so a few weeks before survivor series but the next saturday night's main event which would be i think january 2nd 1988 bundy wrestles hogan again so they knew that this they what what happens in the match tonight sets up a later match between hogan and bundy so they knew hogan was working with bundy with this already in the can they shouldn't you know and then they knew going into the survivor series that two nights later you're gonna have bundy beat hogan by count out it just seems like at survivor series you shouldn't have had bam bam pin pin bundy you know, you could have had Hogan and Bundy do a double countout or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe you're trying to build a two, two feuds to the price of one. You know what I mean? I, I agree for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah and they, they were clearly trying to uh, push Bigelow. So now we got George Animal Steel versus Dangerous Danny Davis. Uh, Danny Davis had a ton of heat back then. I mean, the crowds hated him. I don't know the, if you ever saw the him live. Crooked, the crooked ref is was a really good angle and a lot of promotions did it. Um, and it always got over. People, you know, really reacted to the referee because everyone that watches sports thinks the referee is screwing their team. Um, and it's kind of so it's a natural heat angle. And the idea that a ref would be, you know, disingenuous and would caught, you know, help the heels beat the baby faces. It really worked. I think the way they position Davis is kind of strange because he's he's kind of positioned as like a he's not like a legitimate wrestler, but like he doesn't like just get like squashed super fast. It's kind of odd, like, because he's still a ref, but he's also a wrestler. It's, it's, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of weird. Like, he's not, like, quite like when Bobby Heenan would wrestle during this time period. He would just get, like, killed, like, in five seconds and never get any offense in. Davis has, like, a little bit more credibility. Well, Davis, he, he, transi- he was no longer a ref here. He transitioned completely to a wrestler. He looked good. He had a, he had a, he had a good physique. But oh, he's a trained wrestler, yeah. 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 I mean, he looked the part, too, but I, I love how it, it's quick. But at the beginning of that match, like, he's in Joey Morella's face. To me, that of course he would be like everything. To me, and, and this part of it made so much sense. Like he's the former ref; he would know better than Morella. I, I love that part of it, and I think 
I think that he and Morello were the two refs for the Hogan Orndorff match, the cage match. Yeah, yeah. So I like that yeah. there's a little bit of continuity in the story there. Yeah, Jesse Carr is. <laughs> he has a scar on his leg to this day from Macho Man action figure uh, busting the light cover by accident. <laughs> You're lucky uh, it wasn't a Bundy because the right. Bundy one was like you know four pounds. But the, the, those figures are those action figures uh, were fan. The LJNs I liked them all, right? But they were. I thought those were really special. Yeah. I always had to get all of them, you know. I know. Sure Even I the, the ones color. that you didn't necessarily want to use. You needed, right. right? Outback Jack didn't want a lot of my matches, <laughs> yeah. but you wanted them. Yeah. Hey, to this day, it's still, like, a pretty big industry as far as, like, people going, you know, collectors. If you ever go to any of these, like, you know, you know, like, signing shows and WrestleCon and that kind of stuff, it's still big. Okay. People, you know, people, and people still like to collect them. They're not um, – it's not like they've kind of, like, gone out of style. When I was a kid um, – I I, always, I got the ring, and I had a couple action figures, but I, I they were too stiff, and I couldn't I didn't like to like actually wrestle with them. I used the ring, and I would use like Beanie Babies to wrestle instead because I could like do more fun stuff with them in my imagination. Um, but uh, they were still popular. I know my friend has like had like a pile. He had like fifty of them, and we'd always go over to his house, and he'd have like every single person, every single mid card guy. So it's definitely it was definitely it's still a, to this day I think like a, a tradition in wrestling. Linda McMahon, when she was uh, working with a group called Women's Leadership Live, we did a story together, and I drove out to her office in Connecticut. And, of course, is going to be wrestling in that piece, right, because it's Linda McMahon. And I think the open to that story was um, a surprise party for Vince. And the kids, I say the kids, they're older than we are. Stephanie and Shane did, like, a, a bit where, like, it was WrestleMania from spa- outer space. And they were, it was, you know, it was, it was a surprise party, though. And she caught them. Like, she caught them off guard. But one of the things I really want, I enjoyed that interview. I enjoyed writing that story. One of the things I really wanted to ask Linda was like wrestling figures uh, or even like the connection with the military. Linda kind of worked the fringe stuff that, that just didn't exist or did like AWA had fig- wrestling figures, but they weren't quite big business as the LJNs. Mm-hmm. I was so interested to hear like Linda's reasoning to build, right? They wanted to market and she wanted it as the end of the match. She wanted to do the things that her husband didn't do, couldn't do or wouldn't do. So they made a good team in that respect. Yeah, so this match is over. Yeah, it uh, ends in a just DQ finish because it's a really bad DQ finish. Steel picks up Danny Davis with the hammerlock, which is Steel's finisher. I know most people didn't know George Animal Steel had a finisher, but but he'd he raised him in the air, which that looks like it could hurt. Yeah, he raised him in the air. So Davis, like you know, thrashing his legs, kicks the referee, and so the referee uh, awards the match via disqualification to George Steele, which. Danny Davis does have a point. He does kind of get screwed here. He he isn't intentionally trying to kick the referee. Yeah, but that's that's the pot calling the kettle black, Jesse, isn't it? I mean, that's a guy who's you know storyline wise uh, done his part to, to hurt the baby faces. So I like the fact that, that he kind of gets the other end of that. And Jesse's letting him have it too. But um, yeah. I like the the storytelling there. Mm-hmm. And now George the Animal about to eat the turnbuckle. Davis stops him. I do like chases him out of the ring. Well, Steel throws like the stuffing of the um, Steel's the, moving the turnbuckle. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's moving well. He's fifty uh, during this match. I like how when he throws the stuffing in his face, like Davis acts like he blinds him. Like the rule in wrestling is that anytime anything gets thrown like in your face that might have like small pieces, it's just immediately blinding, and you have to act so. like you got pepper sprayed. And now. They're showing Macho Man's face turn from the previous Saturday Night's Main Event. I guess he had been he had been kind of a babyface before, but this was kind of the 
the anointing of Savage as a top baby face. Yeah, I got to touch on this real quick. When when Brett breaks up that pin, like Tim, and this is this is this is an old Bret Hart or like old school Bret Hart, young Bret Hart. He was still so precise and snug, and everything looked so realistic. It wasn't like Brett became the champ and then became this. Like everything Brett did was just based in such realism. It, it, for me, it was really hard not to enjoy all of Brett's work. I mean, he, the guy was just so good. He was great. And what's interesting is that on last week's show, you know, was the formation of the Mega Powers, and they had the handshake, and they had the promo at the end of the show where they talked about the Mega Powers, and they used the word, and they kind of, you know, the madness meets the mania. And then on this show, it they, they almost like never mentioned it. I don't know if they mentioned it once. It's kind of interesting because you think of like, oh, this is the Mega Powers, but it's they, Hogan and, and Savage are both kept separate on the show. They don't really have any interaction, so it wasn't like they were best friends and they were tag teaming every night. It was very separate. You can see how important Jesse was, uh, Jimmy was to that team. Bret Hart still, to this day, speaks very highly of Jimmy. Yeah. Bruce pointing out at the Survivor Series in 89 when uh, <clears throat> Bret and Savage both got tagged in and the crowd popped. And Savage said he wanted to wor- work with him, but it just never happened. And I, we mentioned this last week when when Bret was champion, they, he just didn't have a strong feud to kind of elevate him. And Savage could have been that guy. He was still with the company. Um, he was still a big name, but Vince just really wanted, it just felt like Vince really wanted to put Savage out to pasture. He was in that generation. That's how, yeah, yeah, that's how it was. I mean, Vince saw thought guys were old, too old and didn't think they could draw. So eventually he lets them go and they go to WCW and it turned out they could all still draw. But, um, right back in here. Yeah. I think he's learned that lesson. And I, I actually queued up my, uh, you guys can't see it. I can read it. I spoke with, this is a 2015 interview, uh, to that comment we just saw on the screen. Uh, I asked Brett about that match at the Survivor Series. I think we were doing Survivor Series highlights with Brett. He said, I still remember that moment at the Rosemont Horizon with Randy Savage when we finally tagged in at the exact time, me and Macho. There was this unexpected huge pop from the crowd. We could feel it when we got in the ring together, and we looked at each other and thought, why aren't we wrestling each other more often? Why aren't we doing business with each other? We wanted to wrestle each other in a storyline, and I remember after that match was over, Macho Man grabbed me by the wrist, took me to Vince McMahon, and said, I want to wrestle him. And Vince said to us, it'll happen one of these days. Hmm. So, yeah, that's an opportunity wasted. Because even yeah. now, you know, Vince, it's not so much about age as if he just has it in your head that you're kind of done, like he did with mm-hmm. Matt Hardy, like he did right. with the Dudleys. You know, he'll bring these guys back, Rob Van Dam. He just feels like they're no longer, um, even well, though they might be younger than some of their top, you know, than well, some of their other guys yeah. on the, the roster. And you can see it in the way they're they're kind of positioned. Like they'll do it. They'll always do a storyline where like so and so's old. They can't do this anymore. Like even when they bring Cena back, they would do these angles where like John Cena is old and like Cena looks a little bit older than he did in his prime, but he still looks great. There's no reason why oh, yeah. he, you know is wouldn't be able to be presented as being like still in his physical prime, but they, they, you know, Vin, you see, can tell with the language that he's kind of positioned as like, this is an old guy. We need in, in it's, it, that's obviously counterbalanced by the fact that WrestleMania and a lot of the big shows are anchored by guys like Brock or Goldberg or people like that who are, who are, you know, older than Equally, Savage was in 94. Right. But even the Cena thing, Bob, because the suddenness, like a year before he wasn't old, it wasn't like a slow build. You know, I remember when Ray Bork won the cup with the avalanche and the, the big narrative was his age, but that's something you saw every year. Would he ever win the yeah. cup? WWE, I, I, they forced that with Cena there. And you're right, this guy's older than him. So how does yeah. that make any sense? 
Way to make this a nice is, Boston is... to Denver sports reference, Justin. That was really well yeah. done. Thank you. <laughs> this is uh, so cool seeing Savage and Brett in the same ring. And just imagine, like, five years later when they're, you know. Brett, again, I felt like he didn't hit his stride. He was put in the main events, but he didn't feel like a main eventer until years mm-hmm. later. And I think a feud with a Savage or a Warrior or a Hogan would have done that. He never really beat a, the top, you know, a top guy during that period to establish him. Brian Bosworth here, who was a huge star. Speaking of top guys. Yeah, yeah. he's shown here going to ringside. I feel like Brett hits another level look. I mean, he was always great work-wise, but, but just as he was a total package to me mm-hmm. starting at, like, SummerSlam 90. Mm-hmm. From that when point, and I know Mr. in his Perfect. book, I don't, think he, I don't think he liked that match because the Road Warriors helped the Hart Foundation win. I love that match. Um, I feel like that's when we started to see a different version of Brett. Like by WrestleMania seven to he he was he was ready. Was Brett perfect? Was that ninety one SummerSlam? Yeah, so it's, no. WrestleMania seven they lost to the Nasties, and then uh, that SummerSlam he, MSG, MSG with his parents. In the yeah, crowd. such a cool moment. Yeah. I think Henning and Hart are both on the record of saying like those guys wrestled like a ton of house show matches. Yeah. And Brett's been on the record saying, like, yeah, we had a lot of better matches. And apparently there was a, a show, I want to say it was in Anchorage, Alaska. They did a house show. And they said that that's the best one. They, I think they both agree that that was their best match. Of course, only a few thousand people saw it. Um, but that would be one of those, if they had tape of it, I'd love to see it. If it's, like, so much better than their SummerSlam 91 match. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah. And uh, Perfect was definitely banged up at SummerSlam. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could tell. This is going to sound... Uh... <laughs> Really petty. I hated Mr. Perfect's haircut at SummerSlam 91. It was like short. It looked like a, I don't know, like an old lady with a perm. The permit. It's like a perm and a mullet. Yeah. Right? My problem with that match was Coach. I never liked Coach. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. He He brought him down. He made him seem like a comical as opposed to uh, a headliner. Yeah. Which is funny. The genius was still on the roster. Genius was with the Beverly's at that point, but... Mm-hmm. Now, at the time, this is pretty unusual that um, you see, like, Brett, who was very much a tag team wrestler, wrestling a major singles star in a singles match. You know, at, you know, even now you see that, but, but back then it was really kind of kept separate. The tag team, at, tag team wrestlers wrestle tag team matches. They might team up in, like, a six-man tag where a tag team would team with a, with a baby face, something like that, but it wasn't like they mixed the divisions that much where you would see a, a guy who would be considered a tag team specialist wrestling a singles match, you know, against a guy that like the star level of Savage. So this really is a special match for that period. And they wouldn't really it's have a, like a, a tag team champion lose a singles match to yeah. just a singles guy like they do all the time now. Um, okay. So also to you, I mean, the just, story here is oh, Randy, right? Like how do you, how do you put a shine on the macho man? And I love, not the anvil, Jimmy Anvil Neidhart, but like if you want, you can't do honky because that that match might be a big one for later. Anvil would work, but he's the powerhouse. I don't know. He's not making Randy shine like Brett. Brett's the it, Danny Davis doesn't mean anything in this match. He wasn't even part of that story. Brett's the guy, so it's smart that they they put Brett here. Yeah, uh, did, Justin. I don't know if you remember this. Did Savage and Brett ever wrestle in WCW? Seems like their paths would have crossed, but I, I feel like I'd remember that match if it was on a Nitro. Uh, I got to do some homework tonight. If anybody in the comment section can can help us out there, uh, Bruce. Yeah, Bruce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me Come see on. if I can figure that out. Great. I, and, and maybe and I feel like they didn't enter. enter uh, WCW was so strange then. 
Yeah. Okay, they I have it. Slim Bree 98. I have it, yep. They had okay, it a couple times in tag match. Hey, Bruce, man. Got to make sure to keep coming every week. I know. appreciate it. Thank you, Bruce. They wrestled in Sambu- 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 1998, the semi. Yep. They also wrestled uh, on an episode of Thunder. Kevin Nash and Randy Savage teamed against Bret Hart and Sting. And then they had another one at the Great American Bash 1998. Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan teaming against Randy Savage and Roddy Piper. But the singles, the that was universe. probably the only one. Yeah, only one singles match, according to Cage Match. And who won? Um, special referee Bret Hart defeats Randy Savage. Special referee was Roddy Piper. At oh. the Central. To do Brett's matches, yeah. That was at in Worcester. That was in Worcester at the um, the Centrum. That was weird. I was just talking about that. How they they didn't run um, the Fleet Center at the time. They ran the smaller venue uh, out in Worcester. Speaking of venues, um, so this is this shows in Seattle, and the WWF had only run two shows prior in Seattle. They ran two house shows, and they were like C house shows. One of them was main evented by superstar Billy Graham in 1985. The other one was 1987. This is the first time Hogan's wrestled in, uh, for WWF in Seattle. It's the first time that WWF has really been in Seattle. And it kind of shows like the national expansion at this. It was a few years ago, just the Northeast Territory is now in the complete other part of the country. And they drew 16,000 fans for the show. Yeah, it's funny. I think um, – I'm sorry to switch topics, but going back to this Brett Savage match. I think if you saw this match, this was the first one you saw of Brett, you would think he's a singles guy outside of yeah. the anvil being with him because he – he is just so crisp. Smooth. Everything looks so yeah. good. Um, yeah, he, he just looks fantastic in this. You know, as a kid, uh, you know, Brett was a tag team guy uh, during this period. So I didn't really see him as a single star just because it was ingrained that he was a tag guy. Same mm-hmm. same went with Shawn Michaels uh, until years and years after they became singles guys. But Though uh, I do think Brett was better off in the tag. During this period. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. he would have gotten he would have gotten buried quick as a singles. Definitely. Well, there's not a there wasn't a lot of room for baby faces in the WWF like outside of like the mid card. We we've kind of seen that on these shows like whether it's George Steele, I guess Ricky Steamboat did get a good run, you know, as a baby face. But a lot of guys, you know, um, when Hercules was a baby face, you know, um, Blackjack, uh, Billy Jack, ugh, I can't remember his name, um, Butch Reed, like guys like. It wasn't like a lot of them were super over, you know, it was, it was really Hogan and then later Savage when he turned babyface. So he would have probably gotten lost in that shuffle. Yeah, he didn't he he didn't quite have the charisma yet. Like I thought I thought Brett was a really good promo later on. Um, oh, when he turns like heel yeah. and it's like him, Bret Hart in 1997 and like late 96 is a, like a really, really engaging promo. And his promos were really kind of some of the first that you would see in the WWF in that era before, you know, Austin really took off. And then later you'd see, you know, the rock and other people, triple H like that. He was a really good promo. Um, you know, when they were doing the whole heart foundation stable, I think Brett had a medical, uh, appointment. He couldn't miss, but one of my disappointments from, uh, takeaways from, uh, raw 25 was, you know, Brett wasn't in the ring just to cut a pro. Cause Brett, I think he's a great promo. He's one yeah. of the best, especially the legends. Well, so the, real. The, yeah, they Shawn only Michaels didn't believe it. Sean was there, but he he was with he did the DR the uh, click thing. Sean should have cut a promo about like growing up on Raw. Like to me, that was a missed opportunity. One last Brett point to me, the biggest Brett missed opportunity, I guess, along with Savage. But that Starcade '97, have him do the the Bischoff match, whatever Zabisco, whatever. But Raj, you get a haircut? I I got one. Yeah, 
Uh, good. Yeah, it looks good. All right, all right. Um, but how does Brett not come out and knock out Sting? He's the hottest guy in the world in wrestling. Sting finally beats Hogan. That match is a mess. Have Brett come out and raise Sting's hand and knock him out with the belt. You get your next program. But that whole thing know. was so botched. And, and, yeah. and not having, I, I think they should have kept Brett a babyface still, and ha- they should have immediately went to him and Hogan. Uh, and I don't think That's they ever wrestled too. on pay per view. They did on a Nitro, and then I think Brett turned heel and joined Hogan or something like that. But the timing was was just gone by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, That's fine because that was such a huge story when that happened. When Brett was going to WCW, huge. You know, uh, I think he, people kind of forget it because they think of the Montreal Screwjob, but forget that Brett showed up in WCW and he was kind of the WWF guy. And uh, have Hogan lose clean at Starcade. Have Brett start with Brett the next night, and then have Sting, Go whoever he wants. Yeah. yeah, and he shouldn't have gotten pinned by Hogan in that match. I know. I mean, to me, Brett looked like a goof for coming out and uh, defending Sting when, and that was clean pinned. I, it was. I've heard Bischoff's explanation on his podcast, and I just don't get it. It still makes no sense. Well, it's it was more it was one of those. It was one of those things where it was like, you know, Vince said to Brett, "Oh, they'll never know how to use you." Like. It's like, okay, Vince, yeah, you're just saying that. Like, And then Brett goes to WCW, and like they immediately drop the ball with him because he's got this massive controversy surrounding him. He's the most discussed name in wrestling. He's probably never had more, more momentum than when he jumps to WCW uh, in November 97. And then just like from the get-go, they drop the ball. And, you know, he ends up – I think he wins the, the world title like once or twice. Um, once Russo took over, yeah. Yeah, which when the title didn't mean anything because it changed hands like twenty five times in one year, and he he was you know there was some bad luck involved too, because Brett did get injured shortly after he won the title, um, and so who knows what that could have run you know what that run could have looked like when he was put in charge of the NWO, won the title, and then you know they they never got to go through with that. But it's Brett working the body part here too. What's that? Yeah, Brett, Brett working the leg here. Yeah. Uh, I know it doesn't sound sexy working working a body part, but man, Brett made it look fun. Brett made it entertaining. Yeah. Well, it was part of the whole thing, which is which I don't. Is he using the sharpshooter at this point? No, he doesn't no. use that till later. No. Yeah. Um, but that would be his thing, you know. Later in his career, is that like if you're a submission guy and your submission targets the knee or the back or anything, you target that during the match, with the idea being they're softening them, them up for you know whatever their fin- their finisher is going to be. Yeah, so Bruce again saying Hogan wouldn't put Sting over clean. This is a great point, but he puts Luger over twice, three months before. He did like, uh, and that made no sense to me. If you're doing Rocky uh, and and Drago, you don't have Drago lose uh, before he faces Rocky, you know? And having him lose to Luger when the story was Hogan and Sting, and it you know, it had been like Andre losing to Hacksaw Jim Duggan three <laughs> months before facing Hogan at WrestleMania three. Just from that a story night, standpoint, it made like, no sense. That night was so exciting when Luger wins on Nitro. Like that was a great moment. Maybe 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 Lex is the Lex is in a Lex, who does Lex wrestle at um at that Starcade? Raven? Am I wrong on that? Uh Starcade ninety seven. Uh da, 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 that was the Can one where Giant was supposed to wrestle Nash, and they didn't switch it to Hall when Nash couldn't do it, which made no sense. They just had a segment. Uh, gosh, who did he face? Let's look it up. Because maybe you do Sting Lex for the belt after that. Like, Lex makes a claim. Luger and they wrestled always had a, like, were they together, Luger, were they not? 
Luger lost to Buff Bagwell at Starcade Night. Bagwell, thank you. Raven was in the uh, Raven was in a different program. Thank you. It was Buff Bagwell. Why? Why am I even looking it up? We'll just ask Bruce. Luger, uh, Luger uh, versus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it it just made from a storytelling point, it made no sense to me, but it did make Nitro seem more unpredictable. Like anything well, could happen. That was the thing, Rogers. That WCW was a promotion really built around Nitro being the main attraction, and the, so they would do a lot of their biggest matches on Nitro. I mean, the famous one, the most famous one's probably the Hulk Hogan Goldberg Georgia Dome match that they do on Nitro, and everyone said at the time, like, well, you should have done a pay-per-view, you would have drawn a huge number. But, but I think Starcade 97 was an exception. That Hogan well, no, I know it was had a, that I know build. it was a really big show. Oh, it was yeah, the, I mean, it was the biggest it match. The biggest. It was the biggest pay-per-view they've ever had. Yeah. Uh, it would it beat every pay-per-view that year. And Savage no, it was the biggest all time, I think, at that point. And I like how Brett, when he, after he gets beat, he looks pissed, you know, like right. he, he disappointed in himself. But it's a really good finish because they basically do this angle where Brett works the leg, works the leg, Savage is on one leg, and then Savage rolls him up with an inside cradle. I feel like to me that's kind of a different finish than what you would we've seen a lot on these Saturday Night's Main events. A lot of them are, are very different than that. And that's like a great storytelling finish because Hart looks good. Savage looks great because they can tell the story. He's really gutsy and, you know, he's only got one leg and he still pulls out the win. And then Brett sells it great by looking pissed like, I knew I should have beat that guy, but... He just got me with a roll-up. It's a really nice finish. I think it does a lot for everybody involved. And also, yeah, so after they were going to hit Macho Man with the megaphone, he got out of the way, grabbed the megaphone, chased the heels off. Yeah, he doesn't Savage, get beat you're up. Just, like you're seeing baby here, face. like, this guy is a main eventer. You know, yeah. like, he's a main event baby face. And, uh, and Elizabeth is perfect with him. Perfect. Yeah. Elizabeth there with him. It's... it's He's a different, he's so different than Hogan. And I think in history, you've seen that when you go from one gigantic start to the next, it's someone completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never Hogan than Luger. Uh, it's, you know, Hogan than Brett, you know, in a way. Really, Austin would be uh, would be the one. And then Rock. taking that fall there is great. Macho sold that injury so well yeah. on the way out of there. Brett also has a great response when uh, Owen beats him at WrestleMania 10. Yeah. And Brett was a, Victory and defeat, Brett made it feel real. I remember that Survivor Series in '90 uh, when Ted DiBiase rolled him up. That was the Undertaker's right. debut, and he just goes, you know, yeah. mouth the f word, and it was it was so great. Now we got Bundy and Bobby Heenan. Man, he was so fantastic. I like how he just grabs the mic from from Oakland. So they used to script these Saturday Night's main event promos, but. Bobby does not seem like he's reciting a promo at all or, you know, scripted. I love that old villainous laugh. Yeah, there's a lot of it. I, w- I really like it. The Hart Foundation, like, are, are the kings of it right now, and Jimmy Hart is. But we need more evil cackling in wrestling. That's yeah. my personal opinion. Try you can make a claim that Hogan, Hogan Bobby is one of the greatest like long feuds. That, in WWE that's history. that's the feud. That's, that's the, the big yeah. one. Like that's the greatest manager wrestler feud. When Andre yeah. turned heel, what was the sign that he turned heel? He came out to the ring and he was with Bobby Heenan. And everyone's like, "Oh my God, Andre's a bad guy now." And it Bring was great. It continued in WCW too. When Bobby wasn't totally a heel in WCW, especially yeah. in the later years, but he would always just rip on Hogan. He was never. He would never talk good about Hogan. And they liked each other off, you know, off screen. It's not like Jesse, who really did hate Hogan by that really, point. Really, yeah, yeah. 
Look at the trash that Bundy gets. And it hit worked. From. Yeah, absolutely. That's another great Bobby moment. Somerset, mm. Somerset '91, I think. I think it's the um, it's the match made in heaven, match made in hell. Savage Hogan, the the, the wedding, uh, the three on two match with Slaughter, Adnan, and, and Mustafa against Warren Hogan. I think Bobby leaves the broadcast table, brings the the real world championship the belt, uh, Flair's belt, back to Hogan's locker room, and gets the door shoved in his face. Like, yeah, they were they were. I don't even think you saw Hogan in that segment, but they Can were really good about- together. Can we talk there, about the here's, a, here's a good point from Bruce. Right now? Why would Bobby want Bundy to win the WWF title when him and Andre have been demanding a rematch for seven months? Can I jump in? Two reasons. One, don't apply logic to pro wrestling. Two, <laughs> um, two. I just think they wanted it in the family, right? Oh, here we go. If it's in the family, it's in the family. Here, yeah, it here we go. Andre now, coming that's out. That's an Andre jacket right there. I was gonna, I knew when I saw this, when I was watching this earlier this week, that Justin was going to comment on Andre's clothes. Uh, we saw that jacket. The way they would shoot him, you know, with uh, yeah. the camera facing up as he's walking in the ring was just genius. It makes it looks him. It makes him look so imposing and and uh, just larger than life. And the demeanor well, was just so arrogant. Yeah. Um, yeah. The thing with Heenan and Bundy, like, why would Heenan want Bundy to have the title? I mean, I think it fits Heenan's character. That Heenan doesn't really care who takes the title from Hogan, as long as he's managing the guy. That's what really matters to him. So. He's like, what yeah, he wanted Andre. Here is Hogan with that bandana. What color yeah. is that jacket? Is that is that uh, burnt it's like orange? A, it's like a, a maroonish, a maroonish five. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I think, uh, it's, it's I think Andre War was just dynamite. Yeah, yeah, the only guy I can compare to that is, is Jake Hager. Jake Hager wears some like weird like golf shirts, but it's not <laughs> quite Andre. Nothing yeah. is. No one is. Hogan's just electric here. Hogan, who's banned from AEW apparently. <laughs> Uh, Linda too. Linda too. Yeah, I to like me, Tony Khan. I'm sorry, go ahead, Jess. No, I just, I like Tony Khan a lot. I just I don't think he needs to get into Twitter feuds with Linda Hogan. Yeah, she's like she's what's that kind of bottom of the barrel? Yeah, like yeah, what's that doing for him? Like, look at the side. To me, this like, is like the, this is like the prototypical Hogan. This is the one that's mm-hmm. he, he's got he's got the Hogan promo mastered. He's got the look. He's got. Like, Hogan's firing on all cylinders here. Did Linda reply to him? I didn't see that if she did. No, she deleted her original tweet, which was... Oh, really? I don't know how someone who could be in the public eye could just tweet stuff that stupid, but... I know, and that insensitive. Yeah, Yeah. during what's going... You know, it's... Whatever. It's a weird weird time. Did they get, like, a state chance to, like, cut up a bandana for Hogan? His, His... The... The frayed bandana is really interesting to me. Could you? Was that that wasn't merchandise that you could buy? Could you? I'm sure they were. If it if it, it would have sold, I'm sure they would have sold it though. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that's probably why they did it was to get something different on Hogan because Hogan before uh, I think it was like '86 before WrestleMania two he would have different colors. He he didn't wear the yellow. He would wear the white um, and blue. He what his wrestling figures he's in white, I think, uh, the LJNs. And the helmet, too. When is, is the helmet before this or after? But the Hogan helmet. Uh, the Hogan I, helmet I'm was sure. with, when he was with Brutus. So that was My, 93, I think. No, no, no. The, the, there was a helmet in the 80s, too. Was it really? I thought he only I had that one with the fist in the front in, in 93. That was as far as 93? Late as 93? I, I thought so, yeah. I thought that's when he was teaming with Brutus against Money, Inc. Pretty sure. Bruce? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's out of the he's out of the 
He's out of the company. Oh, you're right. Um, yeah, Hogan yeah. Uh, helmet was '89 with bad news. Because he's he's out of the company by like June '93. He has the King of the Ring loss to Yokozuna, and then he's gone. Right? Uh, yeah. Yoko was the last match. Like when when Yoko and Fuji and oh Yoko didn't say it. But, yeah. Uh, Fuji when when they would like brag about killing Hulkamania, like he was gone. I think for nine years after that match. So that was like yeah. something you could hold your hat on. Right. And this was kind of. This was kind of Hogan's last year as a full-time, full-time guy. Before Hollywood came out. Yeah, yeah. next year he yeah. was off filming No Holes Barred. Um, yeah, well, the, the belt goes to Savage. Um, for a year. You know, for a year. and then But Hogan does hold it for a year after that because he holds on to it until WrestleMania six. Um, and then it's Warrior Slaughter. Yeah, after Warrior beats it, that's when I kind of – that's when I yeah. think like this era of Hulk, Hulkamania – Ends and when he comes back, you know he comes back for you know at WrestleMania seven beat Slaughter. It's the the magic is is, is is he's still super over, but it's not quite at the level you would see like in the late mid mid to late eighties like you're seeing right now. Right. Hogan sold that. And Hogan that, still had time off uh, when he was champion. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, he worked he like also, a too, insane uh, schedule. You know, during these years. Yeah. Like. Yeah, because they uh, didn't have it as organized. Was was teased as a retirement match too, which is funny looking back. Right. Yeah. But. You know, Sid. I didn't like that they just did a spot with Hogan slamming Bundy and he couldn't slam him. Once you've seen him slam Andre, slamming Bundy shouldn't you be slam like, anybody. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, it was like you know John Cena would give the the AA to Big Show, and then they would try to make it seem like it was incredible that he was picking up like Kane or someone like that. It's like we, we, once you see him, you know, do that to someone else, it, it doesn't. It's not obviously special, right? Yeah. But I like that. But they do tell a story of kind of like Hogan goes for that move early in the match and he can't do it because, you know, Bundy shifts his weight or whatever. And it's like the idea is that Hogan's going to wear Bundy down before he picks him up because that's the big spot, you know, in the match is going to be Hogan slamming the big guy. And between this and the match before, this is a really great Saturday Night's Main event. You know, This is a really good yeah. one. They don't have – they only have four matches. Um, but I would say these two matches, Hogan versus Bundy and Hart versus Savage, are like right. arguably like two out of the five best matches I think we saw this year. This is the last 1987 in a Saturday Night's main event. The next one we'll do is, is January 2nd. Right. Um, but yeah, and these that, are the goals. January 2nd one is the first one I ever saw as it aired. Oh, really? Yeah. Because all of these, I, I, I would, you know, see the highlights on Superstars or whatever, you know, where they talk about it. But um, I, I used to not be able to, you know, I didn't really... I wasn't into wrestling yet, you know. I was I was following it, but not. I wasn't a hardcore fan until '88. Uh, this match, I think, is great because it's it's Bundy at his like old school best. Hogan's firing like it's nice when you have two guys at their peak. Not that it's the greatest match of all time, but it's a very entertaining match. I think I think both right. guys brought their best here. This is everything Hogan's it should have been too. for for its time, you know. Yeah, yep. and this is Hogan's first match in Seattle. This is the first time a lot of fans are seeing him. I don't. This is his first match in Seattle for the WWF. I don't know if he went there with the NW, uh, with the AWA or anything like that. But this is his. This is the first time they're really seeing, you know, Hulk Hogan like this. Mm-hmm. I can't and that, my eyes off Andre the Giant. It's just if he's in a camera shot, you're looking right at him. Yeah, exactly. That's unavoidable. And that's one of the things that sustained Hogan's wait, wait, run for so long was that he go like new territories. It wasn't like he was just going to the same towns over and over again, like he went the territories. It's like, the yeah, well, yeah what, there's what, a new market for him to get into. You know, this what one worked, being Seattle. What worked back then, and it would still work now, is not being on TV every week too. 
You know, mm-hmm. like it's right now you're seeing no slow. one is really a big ratings draw um, except for the guys that like an Undertaker or Brock. Yeah. The guys that aren't on all the time because it, you know, it makes it special to see them. Which makes yeah, me mean, think of when you mentioned Hogan around WrestleMania, uh, the Vegas one that was nine. Yeah. Like Hogan was working Raws back then. Not for the first time, Raw didn't exist before. Right. Um, so that that made, that gave that Raw like a very special flair. Right. Yeah, yeah like they're still doing the Andre versus Hogan storyline for 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 better or for worse. They're setting up the match for WrestleMania four, and we're a long way away from removed now from WrestleMania three. Now Andre was off for well, well they're setting it up for a main event, which and then they oh yeah the, yeah you're uh, right they're setting up for the. And February, technically, Andre, so. in, a, in a sense, won the feud as far as TV goes. Because Andre got the last pin, you know, on, on Hogan. Yeah, what's interesting is Ted DiBiase is going to emerge as a pivotal figure, um, obviously, in that storyline. And he's in the company right now, but he's not really... Um, I don't think... I don't know. Did he wrestle at Survivor Series? I don't um, think so. He's, yeah, so he's cutting. He's doing promos. You know, the, everyone remembers the famous, like, macho uh, Ted Di- Million Dollar Man vignettes. Um, but he's not like a part of the programming yet, and that's something that they did like for a while. Like they would sign someone, they'd shoot the vignettes, they'd show the vignettes for months and months. They might work house shows, but they wouldn't be on TV until they felt like they had them already over enough. So that they is, wouldn't that is kind of crazy. His first uh, pay per view match was the you know WrestleMania four, where he ended up in the main event. Yeah, Andre, well, Andre. Revenant is just everything he does is just so good. Andre grab Hogan. Bundy gets DQ'd. Gosh, first and last Mania main event, too. Didn't do it again. Right, yeah. Al Ripken, like, you know, won, so, won the World Series in his rookie year and never got back. Right. The bell well, rings, and we'll find out here soon. It's not actually over. Andre's taking off his coat. Fans yeah. are starting to go crazy thinking. Justin, wh- wh- how, much less intimidating. how much would you pay for that coat? today like if he threw that coat in the I'd, crowd and someone more, had if it. it was on ebay more zeros than i would probably <laughs> I, I, i'd be in debt after but uh i i love i think andre looks re- and i love andre right like yeah. what he said last week not like a million bucks two million bucks he looks ridiculous with the suspenders on which i would too oh he man should have could you imagine if andre came out in a jeans and a t-shirt <laughs> you know with an andre t-shirt and jeans <laughs> no that sucked yeah. he, he, like rocking his own merch no this Certain this guys, works Rick Flair, I can't imagine. And I can admit, I know Rick worked a match in a t-shirt last Nitro, but like, imagine if Rick didn't wear robes. Like, yeah, man, I can't, can't picture it. Yeah. So this match is going to continue. Andre's kicked out. So I uh, like this. I like that they're telling the stories that Andre really wants to get in the ring with Hogan, and then Heenan and Bundy are pleading for him to please don't you know leave the ring because otherwise the match is going to end in a disqualification. Right. And this was such a great way to go to commercial. You know, these Mm -hmm. little cliffhangers that they throw in there. He is drenched in sweat would be an understatement right now. Yeah, from standing in the corner. Right. (laughs) Well, that was actually... He hasn't walked... I mean, you can see his whole chest. It's just, I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah, I think that... I believe that was a symptom... Like, excessive sweating was actually a symptom of... um, I don't want to try to pronounce it. Acromegaly? Gigantism is... It's referred right. to as, as well, well right that's i was, the, I was you know it's funny I, 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 I can't pronounce acromegaly megaly whatever that's yeah. like the disease in a symptom of that is gigantism but yeah, they're Big actually had it. Lars Sullivan had it. Diseases. a lot of guys have had oh, it wow. um mm-hmm. you know yeah big show Lars Sullivan. so well here yeah andre is uh, great he looks that's good 
Yeah, that's why it's oh, no, you know, when people say best, yeah, he just covers that camera. It's so great. And I think they would use that shot for future Saturday Night's main events. Yeah, and they're putting it over like he just pushed the cameraman over like for no reason. Yeah, it's awesome. There was one time he Andre, actually another really, guy who really would have suffered from overexposure. You know, like he was on in the modern era. Right. Like Big Show, you wonder what he would have done back then. Um, Taker is one of the few guys who like, they somehow kept him really special. Yeah. Yeah, if Big Show from the beginning, if they treated him like this, like just scary, overpowering, you know, I felt like WCW did a better job with Big Show. Well, his rookie than, year, than WWE like, did. When, he, when he first came in as the Giant and he basically just chokeslammed everyone to death in like two seconds, that was his probably like the best year of his career, but I don't know. It, it's it's hard to say. Like Andre, like you, if you follow Andre's career, like the reason he tra- he traveled around so much was because he would draw a lot at first. But if you used him every week, he wouldn't. The, you know, the crowds would go down, and the idea was that he would move around, so he'd only appear in a territory once, you know, every three or four months, or once every six months, because otherwise he just wouldn't be as fresh. But if you had him in every once in a while, he would sell out. Which to me is part of the brilliance of AJ Styles. It's a little, e- or it was a little easier. Like New Japan World wasn't as big a thing a, a few years ago. Like for the New Japan mm-hmm. guys, Kenny too, right? Like I thought Kenny worked a great tag last night. Uh, for the New Japan guys that you wouldn't see very often, um, it would be special when you saw them, right? Because they would never deal with overexposure. Well, they don't um, do singles matches, you know. Like if you're if you if you want to see like a Kenny Omega serious singles match, it's going to happen if he's not wrestling for the title or doesn't have the title. It's pretty much only going to happen in the G1. So, and that's what kind of makes it special is that you're not seeing, like, I think one of the reasons people, I, I personally think Kenny's been great in AEW, and I know people are, think I'm a fanboy mm. for it, but, like, I think one of the reasons people's like, why isn't Kenny, like, as good as he was in New Japan? And I think it's because people maybe only saw four Kenny matches a year, and he's wrestling Okada at the Tokyo Dome or Naito in the G1 Finals, and he wasn't wrestling every week, you know, he wasn't wrestling, you know, Jungle Boy or, or you know, um, My weekly TV Jimmy Havoc. It's a big, you know, like Kenny is. Kenny was never maybe after he won the belt a little bit, but Kenny was never the like the bona fide favorite in New Japan. Like this idea that Kenny should be on top, and I agree. I actually think the company should have built around him. I don't know if he should have been the first champ. I think Jericho's fine without the belt, and Kenny was undefeated and champion. You have a bona fide, a major, genuine star in the states or for AEW. So it would have been an interesting direction to go in. But with Kenny. Um, I know he's wanted to build people around him, uh, which has been a, a unique uh, his his approach. But working every week so different here than it is than it is in Japan. Yeah, uh, Dave saying what's up? What's up, Dave? Um, I, I just think with Kenny Omega, if if you just started watching wrestling with AEW Dynamite, you just wouldn't think he's that big of a deal. You um, think he's you know someone that can that can wrestle well, but I just feel like he. He should be in a higher spot than he is. And, when I think of, and that being, when I think that being said, the, he is helping Adam Page get to that, the next level. But yes. Adam Page is more over than Kenny Omega right now. I think that was probably part of Kenny's plan. I think Kenny's so confident. The last story we did together, he said he was so confident in his in-ring work, he can get back to that point. I think he likes to climb. I, I do. Um, but when you look back at all in, Raj, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I, to me, that's the match. Kenny Pentagon, right? Like, mm-hmm. it didn't need to close out the show. That was the match I wanted to see. That was my takeaway from that night. What a great match. Uh, if that was on Dynamite now, it wouldn't have the same vibe. So 
We'll see right. if he can ever get back to that point. Absolutely. I hope so because, you know, the American audience doesn't really know him yet. You know, I mean, let's face it, not the number of people that subscribe to New Japan World and that really watch it, you're talking about mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands. Now you're getting, you know, with DVR and everything, you're over a million, you know, a million people watching. You need to establish yeah, yourself as a star first before you're creating other stars. Kenny, he went from a about- junior heavyweight to heavyweight fairly quickly. Like, he turned it around. I, if he does it again, mm-hmm. I think that's an incredible story. Yeah, I like, this, I like this. I agree with this. I've said this before with uh, what Bruce is saying. Kenny needs to turn heel on Paige, not vice versa. I agree. Paige is getting those big baby face pops. I I, I agree. I like that. Uh, Kenny's stale. I think it yeah. would revive him. The, and, and The thing with Kenny is that he's – I don't think he's wired the same way that like a lot of guys are and that his motivations for – I don't know if he's motivated to be like the, you know, the guy who's the champion for two years – and, you know, works all these main events. I mean, we're talking about a guy who wrestled, you know, basically comedy matches in DDT for years and years and years when he could He have, wasn't a star then. But he could have gone anywhere. He was a star in DDT. He, and he did wrestle in New Japan, you know, in junior tags and he, stuff. He, in the but he, he didn't... He wasn't a, a number mover like he is now. Like, I mean, like he could be now. Um, right. His segments don't... You know, you look at quarter hours, they don't do anything. Um, his best. No, but what, I'm, what I'm saying is that he's, when he, when he like, won the G1, like that G1 uh, press conference to start the G1, and he laid into each opponent. He mm-hmm. is a tremendous heel. If he if he is the Tatanka and that Tatanka Lex Luger, you sold right. out storyline, and he turns. <laughs> I think a Hangman's an awesome baby face. Like Hangman's yeah. probably now as he is like, now. Yeah. Yes. Right. right. Um, but Kenny's the guy. Kenny, I think, is probably so, I. I can't think of a guy who's a better heel in wrestling that isn't one right now. Yeah, so Hogan, Bundy, Hogan's outside the ring. Bobby Heenan grabbed his leg, and Bundy beats Hogan by countout. Now, that's a pretty big deal because Hogan didn't lose many matches at this point, even though he did totally get screwed. Actually, but the, I, yeah, Bruce, uh, help us out here. Had Hogan lost on Saturday night's main event before this? Well, he doesn't win the battle. He lost to Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, he didn't win the Battle Royal, but as far as his singles match. Singles match. Yeah, neither I don't did Andre. He, I don't think he ever lost. I mean, he, he, I mean, later on, he'd lose a couple. Of, he lost to the yeah. Genius. Um, Hogan's selling it well. Bobby's selling it well. It's... Yeah. All right, Bobby's acting like they won the Super Bowl. He's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1987. So, yeah, I think 85 to 87. I don't think Hogan had. In 87, Hogan. He did lose more often than I thought he did. Hogan lost. He would lose 50. on house shows all the time because that yeah. would be the build for the return match at that he, arena. He, My first match, the first wrestling event I ever went to uh, was Hogan versus Macho Man right after WrestleMania five mm-hmm. uh, at the at the Capitol. So, uh, I'm sorry, not in Baltimore at the Baltimore Arena. And it was Macho Man oh. beating Hogan by count out. They did the rematch at the D.C. Armory the next time where Hogan won. Yeah, I don't th- I think this is his first loss on Saturday night's main event. Yep. Yeah, well, in 87, he wrestled 159 matches. Bruce is saying so. He doesn't think Hogan lost before this. But it still works. Andre was involved. I know that Andre, I would have loved Andre to hit him. Like, you know, he trips him. I would have loved Andre to get in a shot before he left, just to emphasize the point that Hogan was was vulnerable. But they're making Monday, too. And Hogan, I mean, uh, Justin, you've mentioned this before. Uh, Hogan can seem heelish. Ho- here, Hogan's trying to raise his hand, acting like he won, and the ref's like, "No, that's such a heel move. You clearly didn't win." <laughs> crowd loves it. Yeah. 
Yeah, Bunty will like, and this is smart because it sets up the next Saturday Night's main event, which is Hogan versus Bundy. And it's not just another, like a lot of times you'll see in WWE, like a guy will will lose a match and then he'll have a rematch for no real reason. Like, okay, why is the guy getting a rematch? He already lost. Oh, you see that on Humberto Carrillo would lose every week and keep getting intercontinental (laughs) title matches on Raw. Yeah, and yeah, that happens a lot. And now it's like, okay, well, Bundy beat Hogan, which not everyone can say, and he beat him on television, which even fewer people can say and now you have a legit build for your next match and that's how you know this these shows would be booked hogan must pose theory uh now later like jesse comes by and like he leaves the commentary station to go do like the backstage interview to tell bundy like how proud of him he is and how he considers him the real champion so we got hercules here Facing Bam Bam Bigelow, yeah, it's a pretty loaded. It's a pretty loaded Saturday night's main event. I mean, George Steele versus Danny Davis. I'm surprised. I think the show is so loaded that that was one of the cases where you don't have to start off with something huge. Yeah, it's interesting because we kind of in these first few shows, the the big show is the first one. And the idea was that you get your the, the biggest audience at the start of the show, and you mm. wanted to start hot. And now we're seeing kind of like the more the middle of the show is actually where like the big matches are. The first right. match is kind of like the opening match once the rockers become like a, a Vince entity, like they're working the openers and they're, they're getting the crowd fired up. So it changes a little bit soon, but I see why they went with a, with a, with a name in mm-hmm. George Steele to open. All right. So Hercules is a baby face. No, no, he's a heel here. Is he, oh, oh, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, because he's wrestling Bigelow. Bigelow is a babyface. Yeah. Just never got to that next level, Herc. Yeah, when he turned babyface, it, it, like, they gave him that little, uh, the Savage dust. Yeah. Where Savage kind of endorsed him on an episode of the Brother Love show. But, uh, yeah, he was just missing something that didn't, you know, that stopped him maybe, from being a main event guy. Maybe a little bit of Billy Gunn in him. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Had the look, but it's just something. Well, the yeah, thing is, that... like, he's got a great look, but when you have Hogan in the company and you have Warrior in the company, um, you know, does that look really stand out as much? It's just, there's just that intangible. Yeah, it's it kind of like that Adam Cole, uh, where he's got that it factor, but he doesn't quite have the size. And, and Road Dog had mentioned that uh, on After the Bell this morning, that if he had Karrion Cross's size, he'd yeah. be Universal Champion. I agree. Uh, well, because Vince would like him. Then he'd be definitely be universal champion. Well, but he had because outside of the size, he has it. You know, he's got that that charisma. He's got the look. You know who else has the look? Oliver Humperdinck with that jacket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Bam Bam is only like basically a year into his career. He just started wrestling in 1986, and he's a guy who got like a really you know this is a really big push he gets, and he's really like green into the industry. I, I think a manager brings him down here. Like he's yeah. perfect. Yeah, he, you got to let him talk. You got to keep it short. But he's the beast from the east. Let him do his thing. You know, very short bits. But a manager, I think, really hurts him, especially especially just good guys with managers. It's, it's a tough. It's a tough sell. Yeah, yeah. Bruce bringing up that Bam Bam is twenty five years old here. Wow, that's crazy. He looks older. It's kind of yeah. like Arn Anderson when Arn Anderson how he's looked. 45 his whole life. Um, yeah. 
just having that older look, I think, benefits you because you don't seem the, like a kid. I think it was depending the on the character. John, yeah, John Tenta had it as Quake. Quake was right. like three twenty four around the end because he had that receding hairline that helped too. Right in the beard, he just he. You could have said he was thirty-three, and you would have bought it. You know, right? Bigelow doesn't look like he doesn't look like he doesn't look like Jungle Boy. You know what I mean? He looks right. He looks like a ministry. He looks like yeah. a tough guy. Yeah. John Tenta has like one of the like weirdest careers. Like if you look at like how he got into the business and like he, you know, he was a, a high he was a college wrestler and football player at LSU, and then he goes to Japan to become a sumo wrestler. Starts off having success in sumo wrestling, but because he had a, a visible tattoo on his shoulder, which was at the time seen as something that only members of the Yakuza had, he can't do sumo anymore. So then he gets into wrestling, starts he works in Japan a little bit, and then he gets to the WF and becomes Earthquake, has that run there, wrestles in WCW, loses a ton of weight, tries to come back to the WF, but they say you lost too much weight so you can't be Earthquake anymore, so he becomes uh, Gol- Golga, right? Is that his name? When he was in the oddities and he had the Cartman gimmick, Golden, right. yeah, yeah, and he worked like, the exact what? same style though. Yeah, like what a weird career. Yeah, he, he, Hogan, he once once he was out of the program with Hogan, he, he, I mean, a lot of guys did. They moved down the ladder fast. Yeah, he did the natural disasters like yeah. tag team. They, with, they did with, win the tag titles, but yeah, I mean, they were a legit tag run. team. You know, it's two yeah. big guys. He had a better post Hogan run in WWF than he did in WCW because Hogan <laughs> right. had a, a good little run in WCW, but it was. It was so short. He was a little too goofy in WCW with the... So, uh, Bruce bringing up that Humperdinck was a heel manager for 10 years before this. It doesn't work. It, I, we brought this up before. I just feel like babyfaces with uh, with managers outside of Savages and Elizabeth, which when he started, guy. he was a heel. You know, it ended up, you know, turning babyface with her. Outside of that, and Elizabeth same as Undertaker and Paul Bearer. Um, yeah. Outside of that, I can't really think of other ones that really worked, where it really elevated its talent. It also kind of feels yeah. like with Humperdinck, like, what is his connection with Bigelow? Like, are these guys, why are these guys friends? What is their, like, you know, to me, that's like a, a big thing is like, like with Bear and, and Undertaker, I know they came in as heels. Like, what is the, like, how are those guys, like, it made sense that, like, the guy was the funeral parlor owner and he, you know, the Undertaker was his creation or whatever. What is, Sir Oliver Humperdinck's like connection with Bam Bam Bigelow. Plus, Taker didn't change that much. I mean, they didn't right. do the body bags anymore. But, like Taker was still Taker. Paul Bear was still like a creepy, weird mortician. Right. Elizabeth yeah, was always a baby face, always. Right. Um, and Savage yeah, was more or less the same guy, except he like, yes. respected Elizabeth after you know. Yes. <laughs> well, that's what happens. I, mean, that's a lot I don't of- think he holds the ropes for till WrestleMania till. Uh, WrestleMania Seven, like again, a great story too. Yeah. So you can see here they're they're protecting uh, Bam Bam and Hercules by having this go to a double countout. I don't know why they had Steel versus Davis end in a DQ. That's yeah, one they could have done a finish. Yeah. I mean, you could have had Davis pin Steel. Well, I they um, it's really strange. Or have they Steel. They yeah, what either, they do. Way. But they, they were kind of pushing Davis at that point. So yeah. this is really weird. They do three basically DQ countout whatever finishes. They do three basically DQ finishes, and the Hogan match they did this angle where you know you think it's going to be a DQ, but they end up restarting the match. Do they restart then, the match here? Bigelow yes, is... they restart the match. They do oh. it on like back to back matches. Overkill. I wonder yeah, if this is, is one of those. Remember how Vince good. last year had that phase where uh, a match couldn't you couldn't oh, have a match go into two segments. Breaks. Yeah, you can have a commercial break between matches. 
And so they would keep having like two out of three falls those matches. Poor, or, those poor writers and agents that had put together like all those ad like reasons for commercial breaks. Maybe he was going through that like this night. <laughs> it's like <laughs> so, only. Except Brett and Savage went through. Well, the company break. at the time, the company does so many DQ finishes that it yeah. does work when you like tease that it's actually you know you're gonna have the DQ finish, but then you're like, oh, you actually we actually gonna gonna get a conclusive finish. Yeah, I so, like. So Bam like, and Herc went to a double countout. Now the match is restarted. Yep, I, and I like that. The, I like. I do like that AEW isn't relying on DQ finishes. But at some point, I think you do have to write into the idea that guys can actually get disqualified. They they make they make the referees look like idiots uh, too much. Yeah, and, and I mean that's a New Japan thing that. too. That's a New Japan thing. Is that like New Japan doesn't do disqualifications, but like it's like people you know guys will hit each other in the head with chairs or put each other through tables and do right. all this stuff. But like the referee never get you know they never do a disqualification. And I just think that like yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I agree like with AEW that you shouldn't do it for pay per view matches, but don't have fifty guys in the ring and just because they're not touching the guys that are wrestling, then it's not a DQ. It should be. We saw that last night too. That was the Penelope Ford uh, Hangman spot, right? Right. right. Like that's it. I assume that's a DQ, right? It should be. Yeah, I actually thought that was kind of clever because, like, she doesn't see, like, the referee only sees, like, her, like, like, trying to give Hangman a a, a hurricanrana, but she's not, like, doing it to him. Like, I get, like, logically, you could be like, well, that's a DQ. Why is she in the ring? Um, But it happens a lot. She should be thrown out, you know, if she's getting in the ring. They did throw her out. Oh, did they? Yeah, because then JR was like, oh, I wish she was staying out here. She adds the aesthetic appeal. No, then that makes sense. But there are so many other weeks, and I think no, they have I, gotten yeah. way better about it since uh, since they first started. But I, every now and then, you need to th- have a DQ just to show that you have rules. Um, yeah, I no, like I agree. that they don't use it as a crutch, but um, but you need you need to do it once in a while. Yeah, and sometimes it, it looks there's a, sometimes for storyline purposes, it's really smart to do a DQ finish. Or yeah, once in a while. Like, one of my favorite yeah, countouts. Like, and recent memory is Jericho Jungle Boy. They get the 10 minutes, they right. go overtime because Jericho wants to prove a point, and then he takes off when he doesn't get it, go his way. But that was smart, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, countouts is the same thing. Like, someone actually has to get counted out for people to buy the idea that someone's going to get counted out. Hercules what? going to the top rope. So, we saw Bigelow Her- do a cartwheel is earlier. Is Hercules out of the human family at this point? What's that? Is Hercules out of the Heenan family at this point? I thought he was still in. I think he's yeah, he's still in. But he's not important when enough. When Hercules turned babyface, it was because wasn't Heenan trying to sell uh, yeah. him to Ted DiBiase? Great finish. Three. Bam Bam with the pin. Well, we saw you know Bam Bam does a cartwheel. He does that that kind of like uh, it's not quite a helio. It's like a like jumping in splash move, and. I mean, he was a really agile, super heavyweight. Um, they, him and, and they clearly had big plans for him, but uh, yeah. he quit after working with Andre because Andre would just brutalize him night after night, and finally he had had enough. Yeah, I mean, Andre was difficult for I'm guys sure to work age. with at this point. You know, what was that, Justin? Probably showed his age too, right? I mean, it's tough yeah. to work that young, and I think you see that in sports more than wrestling. But that's a good example in wrestling too of a young yeah. guy on a team and, and working with a star well, Andre was difficult to work with, especially later in his career. His drinking was was really heavy. He stiff guys like um, if, well, unless you know, he it, liked you. Um, no, but he, yeah, I know, I know. Like, he Jake didn't the like Snake, Jake the Snake said he, Andre was uh, he, he had a good time working with Andre. He didn't like us, but there was you know there was legit problems. You know, Brian Bosworth, now. 
He's Bosworth's one of those guys who was really famous for like a year or two. Bosworth um, looks like Sting right there. Does, yeah. Sting, who I well, believe worked a Starcade match with John Tenton. So we're, we're tying together. All right. Hey, do you guys see the Sting, the Lost Tapes special? I haven't watched yet, but I, that's on my list, Raj. With no taker this weekend. It's okay. Uh, I mean, it's like eight minutes of back, backstage footage and his match with Big Bubba. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's it? That's it. Yeah. That's so cool. It's so cool seeing. My favorite part was him and uh, Macho Man interacting backstage. Look at how huge Andre looks. Here. Well, because you have Bundy there as like a point of reference. Yeah, because so you got Mean Gene interviewing Andre and Bundy. Sting, this, though, interesting t- to me. The timing of that was similar. I know the interview, and I, but but Sting is a free agent right now, with AEW existing. Like, if there was ever a time for Sting to have leverage? This is it. Like, yeah. Kurt Angle this week, we did a story with Kurt Angle. He talked about he didn't accept the offer to come back. Kurt has, has leverage. I think Kurt will come back before staying, or definitely come back. And Kurt has said he could be talked into another match. He was saying Matt Riddle would be the guy, but I'm I'm sure there are guys in AEW where uh, that would sure. pique, you know pique his interest. Staying, I don't know. What, I mean, he'd be cool to have out there to present titles and things like that. I don't know what else you'd do with him. Yeah, I don't want to see him managing someone. Sting Cody's a great match. But to me, if I'm Sting and I, uh, he wants that Taker match, like to me, that's a SummerSlam main event. That's a cinematic SummerSlam. You close SummerSlam with Taker Sting. Yeah. And I don't think Sting would have a problem losing. I mean, Sting has spinal stenosis. Oh, he doesn't have to yeah. take any bumps if it's a cinematic match. Yeah, I guess. I mean, how many bumps did John Cena take in that Firefly Funhouse match, you know? Right. I'm like, look, I'm like the one person in the world that doesn't, doesn't want to see the Undertaker-Sting match. I don't oh, want to see it as a match. I guess right Vince now. is Vince's would be the other per- Vince would be the other person. I don't want to see it as a match right now because well, Sting can't wrestle right now with his neck. But um, he's he said in interviews he can he can still go if needed. But I think hire a stunt double. It, this stuff isn't to me. It's not. Right. Why Jeff why put him in a position? Jeff Farmer Sting. I know Steve Boyd uh, Sting. Jeff Farmer NWO Sting. No Jeff Farmer. Yeah yeah yeah. Um, so that's, home- I mean, that's a good, that's a close SummerSlam. Especially you're building Taker, right? Like, that's the next logical big Taker step. Yeah, um, or you have Sting beat Taker, and then it leads to something else, you know? A WCW uh, guy can't beat a WWF guy. We need to be remembered. We need to be reminded, Raj, that Goldberg WWF beat, Goldberg beat Bray award. Wyatt. <laughs> I think they're past that. And plus, you could have you could have AJ cost Taker that match. Yeah. And then you're, you're, you're putting Sting, I don't know what you do with him next, if he can go. And you have you have the AJ Taker thing, which it looks like it'll be WrestleMania 37. And that could be the you know in front of people an actual match, and that that that'd be Taker's retirement, for real. You know? Until the next one. All right, until yes, yeah. until the, the following year. I think if Sting were, I think Sting a good what, role for Jesse Sting. Jesse just shoved Oakland up. Oakland, yeah. What's going on here? So Jesse had to insert himself into the interview because Oakland was asking Bundy crappy questions because oh, Jesse so. had to tell Oak, Bundy like how he considers him the real world champion. Cause he Did they Hogan announce that uh, it's going to be Hogan and Bundy th- at the next one? I don't think they announced it on this show. Cause they don't really he, do he a just lot of- said, cause they, they look like they were building it at the end. And then Vince said, we'll see you at the next Saturday night's main event on new year's weekend. Uh, trivia. Jesse Ventura actually named our uh, nickname Gene Oakland. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, Jesse, do you have the ratings info for this show? I, I looked all over the place, and I couldn't find it. Yeah. I'm sure it might be out there somewhere, but um, I assume it was in line with what 
was done beforehand. I mean, the last show. Well, especially the other heavy hitters, right? Yeah, I, w- I was going to say, I would think this would be, you know, bigger than the last couple. Let's see here. Let's see if we can find it. Um, and let's see. Do, 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 do. This was 1987. Yeah, an 11.3. So. Oh, wow. Uh, the second highest of the year behind the one where um, that was leading into WrestleMania three that had Hogan and Andre mm-hmm. in the Battle Royal, so huge rating. The last, the one before that did nine point seven, for that nine point five. Uh, yeah, that's the be, biggest rating. No, no Saturday Night's main event would hit this rating after this. You had Andre, you had Hulk, you had Macho on his rise. You, you right. had George Steele, who was still a, a, a name. Like right. it's, it's a really. You had Ma, uh, Brett, who could work. It's a really yeah, Bam Bam who was who was kind of up and coming, emerging. Yeah, it was a really smart card. Yeah, and and when I say that, I mean Saturday night's main event. The the Friday night's main event they they surpassed and set records. Uh, the first two, but, the main yeah. event. Yeah, I mean that was what. What was I don't know what the rating is. I know the viewership is thirty three million. Uh, let's take what, a look here. What's that like a a nineteen rating, a twenty rating? Yes, yeah, so you still saying wrestling was bigger years prior? It was. <laughs> Oh my god! I will die. I'm ready to die on the hill. I was talking. Evidently, evidently. I I, I had an email conversation with Dave Meltzer this week about that because I sent him an email like, "Help me with this argument." (laughs) And you know, Dave said that it was classic Dave answer. It was bigger in some places and wasn't as big in other places. Yeah, nationally, it wasn't bigger. I'm with Rod. I'm with the, I'm team I'm, I'm team wrestling in general. But. Let's let's <laughs> let's look at this just real Hold quick. Humor me with this. Hold on a sec. I got the. Okay, go, what were we going to do? In in 1988, he's giving it an he's extending the olive branch. In Saturday Saturday night in 1988, how many wrestling shows are taking place in the country that can draw? 4,000 people or more. You have generate maybe three WWF shows because they got three tours. I don't know if all of them are doing that big. The C tour, I don't know how big they're doing, but let's say three. You're yeah. only talking about live events. And then you have W's. I'm just, humor me. And okay. then you have, you know, WCW, Jim Crockett Promotions. That's four. So you go back, you know, AWA is, is still around, but it's not doing, you know, they're taping in like warehouses at that point. It's not, it's not that big. And some of the other promotions are around too. If you go back to 1980, you have, you know the WWF in the Northeast. You have Montreal is still around. You have um, Jack Tunney in Toronto. You have the Sheik in Detroit. You have the AWA in the rest of the Midwest. You have WCCW in Texas. You have Paul Bosch in Houston. You have the UWF in um, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana. You have Memphis. You have Championship Wrestling Jesse, from Florida. You have the none Carolinas. of those shows did TV ratings. They 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 would do a well locally you know, they good would do business well. locally. You can, uh, you can say well they, they wouldn't WWF, add up to thirty three million like WWF the biggest was number running still still There's still other markets. There's still other markets that are vi- viable small smaller markets. And, but, yeah, but, but wrestling I don't know if being doing popular, there's no question it was more popular in the There's no question. Is like a bigger NBC. company. No, than wrestling was else. more popular in '88, without question. You can ask Dave. Don't say in some markets nationally. I'm just telling. I'm just saying that's what Dave told me. He, he said in some markets, yes, of course. Um, but a, a, as a whole, 
well, wrestling like in was Seattle, way more popular. All about how the question was framed. Jesse, you would have been a good attorney. <laughs> well, I'm just making an argument that there were more people going to wrestling shows in 1980 than there were in 1988. There, there yeah, wasn't like there were I, more people watching wrestling in 1988 by far. Buying merch, wrestlers being stars, being all over. But let's, uh, you know, I don't want to spend all our time on this. Um, I brought some it up. Quick, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Uh, some okay. some quick stats on what was big during this period. Fatal Attraction. Eight uh, and it was the number one movie before this aired for eight weeks. It was number one. I never knew it was that successful. So, yeah, it was a big deal at the time, and I don't know like and this. It's a movie that hasn't aged very well because the it centers basically you're I don't you're, it centers around a wealthy to do Connecticut lawyer who cheats on his wife. Um, it, well, they had a different <laughs> ending for that, but uh, before Saturday Night's main event aired, the weeks before, The Running Man with Schwarzenegger was the number one movie for two weeks in a row. When this episode aired, Three Men and a Baby, the number one movie at the box office. Um, the big <laughs> the big songs on the Billboard charts were, uh, I think we're alone now by Tiffany, oh, Bad by, by Michael Jackson, <laughs> Monet Monet by Billy Idol, uh, Causing a Commotion by Madonna. So some some great stuff back here. Yeah, uh, Tiffany, not De- not Debbie Gibson. I know that song's been covered by a bunch of people. Yeah, oh, Tiffany. That's, Tiffany was the, like the big hit. Yeah, I mean okay. it was it was around that song. That song from the '60s, I think. But, like, yeah, I know, I know. It's was... one of those songs that's been covered like by ten thousand people. The version I know is the Debbie Gibson yeah, version. But I wasn't around. Was I wasn't around in 1987, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be that familiar with the music. Uh, at least the pop pop music from that era. Terrible question, but uh, Three Men and a Baby, Raj, have you seen it? Oh yeah, we actually just watched it uh, a month ago with our daughters. What's the big song in that one that uh, Gutenberg dancing and why can't uh, Salik sing to the baby to put her to sleep? Uh, Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. Yeah, I... <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's great. And then uh, Daddy's Girl by Peter Cetera is it's in that movie, which very underrated. To... Peter Cetera. It is really underrated. I used to play that for my daughters when they were younger. <laughs> That's nice. Three. Uh, we got some wrestling trivia. Why don't we do a little wrestling trivia before we we head out? I don't have anything. Was I supposed to prepare? No, I can I can come up with some stuff. <laughs> I mean, I can ask obscure random facts, but uh, all right. Here, here's one to you, Jesse. Okay. Who did? Uh, which of these is not a uh, WrestleMania opponent for Randy Savage? Okay. Uh. Don't answer until you you hear all four options, Justin. Okay. You can chime in after, but I'm sh- I'm sure you'll get this. I'll stick um, this one. All right, uh, George Animal Steel, Crush, uh, hold on a second, Jake the Snake Roberts or Greg the Hammer Valentine. You got four seconds. Go, George Steele. Bang. He, Randy Savage faced George Steele at WrestleMania 2. I knew I was going to get that wrong. <laughs> I was trying to... Well, Justin, first, I, no, I took, that, que- that, question was, that question was... I think there were two wrong answers. No. You, did you say Valentine? Yeah. He didn't fight Valentine in Mania. He did. It was oh, uh, he in the opening sorry. round of the he, WrestleMania Jake 4 Roberts, tournament. Yeah, sorry, it's Russell, he, <laughs> I, I, that's right. He's the hammer in that. Yeah. I'm, it's Jake Roberts. I knew that, but I thought it was too... Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the hammer. <laughs> I was trying to remember when Savage got to the company because he wasn't he wasn't on wrestlemania was he on wrestlemania one i don't think he was no his uh two was his first yeah he wasn't on the company so i was trying to think and then i was from from then on i can know but i'm like well i'm i i thought about too much i was like well he didn't wrestle steel at wrestlemania three um he went two he ran two through ten 
but he didn't wrestle at uh, at nine. Nine, nine yeah, because right. he's doing commentary. He's, commentary. he's like the not refused to wear the toga. I don't know if that's true or not. You know, be, so. you know, you know, it'll be fun. This happened right around the same time. Uh, I think it was in late '87. Is that it's on WWE Network? Is that they have the old timers battle royal um, that they had yeah, at the Meadowlands Arena, and it's really interesting to watch. And the backstory is that Randy Savage wanted um, right. his father Angelo Poffo, um, who was a regional star and, and ran the promotion, uh, um, IC, uh, ICW in like Louisville. And, like, Vince, for whatever reason, like, wouldn't put him in the Battle Royal. And there's never really a good explanation for why he wasn't in the Battle Royal. And that did cause a rift between Savage and Vince. Well, I don't believe that. I know Lanny Poffo, he told me that story uh, on our site. But mm-hmm. Vince and Savage were very close after. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I years don't know. and years Obviously, after this happened. Savage then got a year-long title run. So it's not like that was, like, this big rift between the two of them that drove him apart forever. But I thought it was... It's, 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 it's on the network. It's worth a rewatch because know. it's I really mean, interesting to see. I'm like, sure I'm sure Savage was never happy about that. And, uh, you know, he's very close to his family. I was pissed. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's what caused the rift to where Savage well, clearly was didn't. blackballed. Yeah, I mean, it clearly didn't because Savage would go on to have a big successful right. career. But it's it's a really interesting, like, it's really interesting to watch to just see the names and, like, how the crowd pops for the names. Like, Yeah, Angelo Poffo, I think why Vince probably didn't do it was Angelo Poffo wasn't a... WWE, I don't know if he was at, was he ever in WWF? Um, he worked shows, but I don't think he had a sustained run, Raj. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think he did either. But if you look at that, like, it's really interesting because, like, Luthez comes out and, like, no one reacts. And then, um, oh, what's his name? Um, Chief J Strongbro, who is like, uh, was like a mid card guy in like the 60s and 70s, but was a WWE. WF guy in New York City was really popular. He gets like this monster reaction, and everyone does the war chants with him and stuff like that. And it's funny to show yeah. how how regional wrestling was at that time because like Luthez is like this you know icon of wrestling. It's amazing he's even here, and like everyone like politely claps. And then Chief J Strongbow, who's like a mid card guy, like everyone loses their mind for it. It's funny. Yeah, I mean, I mean to this day, I'm I'm sorry. Go mm-hmm. ahead. I can do our next trivia round if you guys are ready. Let's do it. Because I was going to say today's audience if. Ronnie Garvin or Tommy Rich came to the ring, they wouldn't react, you know. But Coco Beware, they would, you know. True. Love the bird. Love me some Birdman. I feel like he was just going through a health scare. I always liked the Birdman. Yeah, I did too. Uh, Who was the – we didn't say win a whole lot, though. Who was the first – what was supposed to be the uh, Bret Hart's first singles gimmick in WWE? WWE. I know know the answer. Cowboys. Cowboy Bret Hart. Yeah. Bret Hart, yeah. Wasn't he Buddy the heartthrob part? Or was that before or after? I know he was the cowboy and he said he didn't want to be a cowboy because he knew real cowboys in, in Calgary and he knew he wouldn't be able to like pull it off convincingly. But didn't they want him to call him Buddy Hart? I think he worked some matches for the WWF like in like the early 80s before you know Vince had kind of bought Calgary um, as Buddy the heartthrob heart. I'm going to say it right now. One of those hot takes. Brett would have Brett worked. Cowboy Bret Hart would have worked. He would have found a way. He, he, he was in that. He was in Lonesome Dove, and he looked the part. Yeah, when he yeah was on that's that show. well. That's the funny thing is that he plays a cowboy later. <laughs> Brett would have been a good cowboy, I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he knew how to ride or, or something like that, because that was always one of, of those course, things yeah. that you have to do it. Like uh, there was the thing, like with like I think it was Shane Douglas. Like he carried the skateboard to the ring, but he couldn't skateboard. So like, and the, the idea was like, every time people see you not skateboard, they're gonna not you actually skateboard. They're gonna know you can't really do it. Uh, and he like I don't know if he could do like the cowboy stuff like at least like Adam Page like I wouldn't I don't he's not like a real cowboy but he's a farm guy that knows like 
how to ride a horse and that kind of stuff. And it works. Speaking of failed gimmicks, I always thought Dean Douglas. I think I'm in the minority here too. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you definitely are. <laughs> I, I liked it. I mean, Ted DiBiase needed a million dollar man. I think, I mean, granted the franchise was just so good, but like, I liked the idea of, if it had some longevity, I wonder how Dean Douglas would have worked. I don't know. I, I think the outfit made him look like a job guy, though. Yes. You it was know. like a weird um, – who wears that? Uh, it's like a re- it's like an amateur wrestling uh, leotard. Right. It's like, and yeah. it's like what job guys wore in that era, like Louis Spicoli, <laughs> yeah. you know, when he was a job guy. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that hurt. I like the name Dean Douglas. Uh, if they didn't uh, make it so yeah. teacherish. <laughs> but, right. Uh, yeah, Shane Douglas still that franchise gimmick in ECW. I felt like that could have worked uh, in the Attitude Era, but it never really. Got I a liked I, as gimmicks that maybe didn't work as well. That I was, I mean, as a kid, I was a big fan of the Deuce and Domino gimmick. Oh, yeah. I don't know. The, I, it, it sounds shitty, but I liked the idea of like they came out in the old car. They were just greasers. They were built from like from the wrong side of the tracks. Like it's yeah, it's yeah, super it's, campy, but I liked it. I don't know. Yeah. Can I jump on Bruce's comment real quick? Because I I'll ask the, the Gino, next week. Did Gino Hernandez win or uh, the Brett hates country music? But so hmm. Brett and I have spoken a few times, and he's mentioned like his respect for like he, he grew up in that era where cowboys were kings, right? Like mm-hmm. so, I, mm-hmm. I I wonder the next time we speak, I'll, I'll ask that question. Like, what direction would he admit like, if if he was given this character, he had no choice but you are a cowboy, Bret Hart. How would you have made it work? I think that'd be a fun story. So yeah. uh, I don't know when I'll get Brett again, but uh, when I do, if I do. That's the first question I'll ask. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, another great episode. I, these have all been home, home runs, in my opinion. I've loved all these Saturday night's main events that we've watched. This is the last one of 87. Yeah. Uh, going out with a bang. I, this, you know, I thought the last two were the, the best. Of, I agree. Some of the best of all time, I, if you don't count I think, the Friday night shows. I think the, rest, the, the WrestleMania three kind of go-home show might have been better from a storyline standpoint. But from a top to bottom show, I think this one and the one the previous week have been the best so far. And I felt like this week was a lot less forced, like the madness and the mania thing. It's maybe just from getting um, watching so much of the modern product. Like when they want to sell a narrative, it's not subtle. It's it's in your face. It's 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 over and over and over and over again. Told you. So I like the fact that uh, I liked how a little more this this week's felt more organic than last week's felt a little more manufactured. It's still two great episodes, two great weeks. Uh, fun to see Brett and Randy and Hogan so, and Bundy too. Yeah. So next next week we have um, just run down the card real quick. Um, the January second, nineteen eighty eight, which is the first show. I ever saw as it aired. Yep, from Landover, My Maryland. Uh, it's Strike Force, Strike Force, Tito Zantana and Rick Martel versus the Bolsheviks, which was Nikolai Volkov and Boris Zukov. And we got Jake Roberts versus Sika, Hulk Hogan versus King Kong Bundy for the WWF World Championship, and then Greg Valentine versus Coco Beware, which I believe that's going to be, I believe that's the first time we've seen the hammer uh, on these. And I think the first time we saw Coco not in the Battle Royal and not in the Pile Driver uh, music video. Yeah, I, the hammer was probably on before '87, right? You would think. Yeah, uh, this is been... the first time we've seen him. I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, gotcha. um, so yeah, I know he's been on the show. I mean, he was in the company for a really long time. So. Right. Yeah. Another guy that just la- he was at SummerSlam '91. He worked IRS in that match. Like he was just around forever. Yeah, um, him and his baby face. It just didn't. It didn't. Work. He's still around. Well, he's going to do rhythm and blues soon, right? Well, Honky's going to lose the title, right? And then he does rhythm and blues. Yeah, Honky's there I for a little bit, and then they do it. Six, isn't it? Yeah. So Honky loses at after five. Yep, and we got 
No, go ahead. Was it after? It was after four. Was was it after four? It was in '88. Yeah, he, he loses that five? SummerSlam '88. We need Bruce because I think they worked. No, it's it's WrestleMania six because they they worked the Bushwhackers. Yeah, yeah. Cadillac. What did he do at five? Honky Tonk. Was he on that card? What did Honky Tonk do at WrestleMania five? Good question. Yeah. We need Bruce. I know Bruce. He I think. Bruce. I think Bruce five was team till eighty eight. But that's um, no, hon- no uh, that's yeah, uh, that, yeah, that's yeah. Valentine, not honky. But honky tonk, what? What? No, uh, Dream Team ended in '87. Uh, that's when Brutus turned babyface at WrestleMania three. So I got you, Bruce. <laughs> got you on that one. <laughs> honky tonk um, man and Valentine lost. Ah, I'll just bring it up. Let's see here. But didn't the Dream Team continue, Raj? Wasn't he replaced? Uh. Was he? I know Greg Valentine went into that feud with Ronnie Garvin. Remember, and he he retired Ronnie Garvin. Ronnie Garvin became a ref. Judgment just commented. I, I thought it was yeah. I thought there was a new. Um, yeah, it was it was Bravo Valentine. Yeah, yeah. So I WrestleMania think- Five, the Hart Foundation beat Greg Valentine and Honky Tonk Man. Uh, they weren't rhythm and blues yet, though, right? They were just. It was just a random tag match. I gotta go back. What, what color was Valentine's hair? I think that'll help answer the question. Right? <laughs> I have to watch that tonight. Yeah, I I'm thought it wasn't picturing... until later. Um, I'm just picturing him in the red jumpsuit. Yeah. That's all I can think of right now. Valentine's yeah. around a lot. He does. He, I see. I feel like I've seen him a bunch of times. He goes. He does a lot of signings. He does a lot of the conventions. He kind of looks the same. Yeah. yeah. So, he, well, he's, he's kind of in that. He's kind of in that Arn Anderson. Like we were talking about guys who kind of looked old at the time. So now that they're actually are old, they kind of look don't look that different. Mm-hmm. And Bruce well, is funny. A he's a guy with all that history. You never hear him mentioned, or rarely do you ever hear him mentioned on WWE programming. He's not a guy they highlight or they pick and choose. He's not one of the guys they picked. And a guy that really surprises me that I, I would I'd be surprised if he's not on an AEW show at some point. But I'm just amazed WWE doesn't highlight Hacksaw more often. I think he's a guy that could be. I suppose if you work an AEW show, it's it's risky though because then you might not get called to work an Access or anything like that. But I'm surprised Hacksaw doesn't isn't around. I know it's it's a pandemic right now. Right. Yeah. Well, he's had some health. I don't. I mean, I mean, he's had some health issues like the last year or two. I think. Right. He did. Yeah. Well, we just interviewed him on the uh, not that long ago. Yeah, you're right. And, and he was he was doing much better. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm surprised he's not brought in some sort of legends role a little more because he still looks like hacksaw. And I know if you watch his Facebook lives, I watch from time to time on Facebook. He's got the big beard and the hair is, hair is long. I mean, that's easy to fix that, right? Right. You get, up, you get on TV and. Um, Hacksaw, I'll tell you what, Hacksaw, going on independent shows in the Northeast, he can still get the crowd fired up. Like, he's got a, pre- you know, he, he's not young. He's 66, I think. Right. He's got a presence in the ring. Um, the game guys should watch. I'm a, I'm a huge Hacksaw. Yeah. So, Raj, you want to plug anything for the site? I uh, just keep checking out WrestlingInc.com. Um, yeah, we got, you know, as always, uh, tons of exclusive interviews. We have got Triple H's uh, conference call from today. Um, so that'll be, uh, that was on today's episode and we got, uh, coming up, we got Wade Boggs, uh, who talks Boggs. about, yeah, who talks close about friend to, close friend of Kurt Hennig. Yeah. He, he, that's what I was about to say. He talks about uh, his friendship with Kurt Hennig and how, uh, Kurt Hennig saved him once. Uh, so a bunch of cool stuff coming up. So, uh, check it out. 
Speaking is that of yours? horse riding, that one was Nick's. Okay, that's a great I'm sorry, that was yeah. a, uh, Andy Melnoski. He did, he did that one. Very cool. Speaking of horse riding, Wade Boggs. Um... Um, Yankee yeah, yeah, Stadium. <laughs> what yeah. about you, Justin? Tomorrow, I, it's it's exciting. It's uh, it's translated. So sometimes uh, when you translate an interview, you lose a little bit of the voice. But I, I think this one it captures Io Shirai's voice. Okay. I'll have a Q&A tomorrow uh, in, ahead of NXT TakeOver in your house with Io Shirai. Uh, Saturday, I'll cover the uh, UFC 250, so we'll have a live blog there. And Sunday, um, in the morning, there'll be an Adam Cole story. And in the evening, I'll, I'll do a recap of, of uh, TakeOver. So, Io Shirai tomorrow, UFC on Saturday, Cole in the morning on Sunday. And then I'm looking forward to In Your House Sunday night. I think it's the first In Your House since, what, Big Show St. Valentine's Day Massacre? Is that possible? It's It's been a while, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's 25 years. That's that's crazy. Right. Crazy. All right, and uh, I got an article coming up tomorrow, Views from the Turnbuckle on Wrestling Inc. Uh, I wrote about MJF, kind of like where he is now in his career and what can be done to make sure he takes it to the next level and make sure everyone talks about how much potential he has, what are ways that he could be screwed up and not reach that potential, and what can kind of be done to – booking-wise, from performance-wise, to kind of take him up to that next level and be that future main eventer that a lot of people think he, he's going to be. Um, we got In Your House, of course, the pay-per-view on Sunday. I'm assuming that we have a recap show going on uh, Sunday night, Raj, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep, and I'll have probably have a review up as well on WrestlingInc.com um, following the show on Sunday night. Um, I'll ask that- you guys real quick. What do you close the show with? I assume the black- backlog brawl, but what do you close the show with on Sunday? I, I I would Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream, depending on how it turned out. Depending on how it turned out, assuming it turned out well, um, right? The, I think yeah. the women have an interesting argument, though. I I do too. I and think they, they drew the highest rated segment on last week's NXT. Uh, my Charlotte Flair there. If you don't want her to main event the show, I don't, like Flair should be to me. She's in NXT. Put her in the yeah. main event. I I, yeah, I, not, yeah. And I'm hearing Io Shirai and Velveteen Dream are. Uh, probably not long for NXT and probably going to the main roster sooner than later. So uh, we'll see. Well, see, I think Cole, Cole wins, but I think Shirai gets the belt. We'll see. Is it mm-hmm. too soon for Charlotte to lose it? We're in such a weird era of wrestling with no mm-hmm. crowd. I don't know. Yeah. And think- and now with Florida entering phase two, um, you know, we, we asked Triple H on the conference call today. Nick had asked Triple H about uh, starting to have fans again and doing events in Florida. And he's saying they're just waiting for the – the get you know the go ahead from Florida and you know they're taking it as it comes. So I think Vince wanting SummerSlam in front of fans, it's looking more and more like that's going to happen. It's not going to be in Boston. In Boston, right? Oh, yeah, not in Boston. It, probably in Florida, Georgia, or Texas. Yeah, well, I think yeah, there's certain states like I think Missouri opened up like pretty early, and I mean they'll have it wherever they can they can have it. Um, I would, as far as opposed to what goes on last, I, I kind of am starting to ascribe to the rule that once you go away from the arena, you can't go back to it. And I think like it was the right idea to have the Undertaker Styles match, the Boneyard match, close one of the nights of WrestleMania. It was the right idea to have the Stadium Stampede be the last match. Um, Firefly Funhouse though did, didn't close it, and I think that was that the was right the, move in that case. Yeah, yeah, I mean that wasn't a match, so like. I mean, I mean, I guess no, none of these are. Works. They're more. These are all kind of sketches in a way, like vignettes. Well, yeah, they are, matches. but I don't know. I feel like there's like that. That one's, I think, a little bit different. But yeah, I would. So I would do the back lot kind of bro. I'm, I'm interested to see how they do it. it I, I feel like it's either really, really good or it's going to be not very good. Yeah. 
I know the talent weren't happy. A lot of the talent didn't show up because usually they're supposed to be given 24 hours notice. And I guess about, you know, they were told earlier that day. So only about half the talent showed up. And I'm hearing like, you know, guys in WWE weren't happy about that. Yeah, the, the there might reports be a, a about, talking to. There are reports about like the NXT talent in the crowd. Sounds like it's probably not that much fun. But I don't know yeah. how much of that is true. Well, what, what is I heard that, directly um, that yeah, that uh, like the twelve-hour day and the standing. yeah, and and that they were told over the PA system. So I found out it was Kevin Dunn <laughs> that said it over the the PA system to act more lively and and said it in a way that kind of ticked a lot of people off. And then Matt Bloom went out and you know it was more diplomatic yeah. about how the show should the run. Good but, cop, bad cop. Right. Yeah. Don't yeah. act too excited. Don't be. You know, it's like, what do you want? Right. Just, I don't know. Like the AEW crowd, at least is it's and MJF plays a big part in that. But it's like it's fun. It's yeah. Well, you got two hundred people or whatever in developmental. Switch the guys out between shows. You yeah. know, uh, or right. at least between days. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like someone, I heard that someone Give them drinks. <laughs> I heard someone say that like because like a lot of the developmental talent that's not on TV are like former college athletes. You know, the people that are get signed to the developmental deals. You know, that are part of the training center, you know, college football players, fitness models, track and field athletes, those people that uh, some of those people are not like big wrestling fans. So they don't have maybe the natural reaction. They don't know how to act like that naturally to it, as opposed to AEW using like a lot of independent wrestlers and stuff who are more likely to be fans at shows. I don't know. It's I, I don't know if that's true or not, but it, I don't, it's interesting. There's a significant difference. All right, um, so we're going to wrap things up. Uh, we'll be back again, I believe, next Thursday uh, night at the same time. Uh, thanks a lot for everyone who participated, everyone in the chat. Um, we appreciate you guys staying active and being a part of the conversation. And everyone that watches this, whether they're tuning in live or they're tuning in um, whenever they feel like it on YouTube or Spotify or one of our million other options for this place, we appreciate your support, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>